Today's episode is brought to you by Reef Builders, winner of Best of Howls, five years running. Reef Builders is a Tempe, Arizona-based, full-service design-build construction company. What's a design-build company? It means you deal with one company for everything. Reef Builders is able to take your vision and bring it to life by drawing your plans, producing photorealistic, high-resolution 3D renderings of your kitchen, baths, and more, helping you design and pick your finishes, and finally, executing that vision. With their years of building experience and a superior client experience, using tools such as online project management software through their client portal that allows you to see your renovation in real time. Whether you're in town, on vacation, or living in another state, you have access to job progress photos, your build schedule, financials, and much more anywhere in the world. So if you're looking for a complete bath or kitchen renovation, a complete home renovation, a custom home designed and built, or a boutique commercial project built out, Reef Builders can deliver it. Reef Builders, your vision, their experience delivered. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Make the Difference. Today, we have two longtime friends in here with us. Uh, Chris Stewart's back, as always. Uh, we have Mike Smith, who was on episode three, I believe. So uh, Mike, Mike and Jesse Forbes were on episode three, and then we have Ryan Olin today. I've uh, known both of them for over 10-plus years. We're here to talk about um, the promotional process as it comes to uh, being a company officer. So... Mike was recently promoted, but was on the list for uh, about five years, Mike? Seems like yeah. 10 years. Yeah, it feels, yeah. Yeah, feels like 10, five years. <laughs> and then Olin was uh, a one-timer, and he's been a, a, a captain for a little while now. But we're just going to talk about the process. Uh, there's a promotional process coming up, or just starting. So we want to kind of talk to these guys about what they did to prepare, how they did it, and what was beneficial. So, uh, Ryan, or Chris, you want to... No, no, thanks. Uh, this will be cool. Uh, have a good conversation about what it takes, and then, uh, yeah, and then kind of what it looks like on the other side. Yeah. So, Ryan, we're going to let you have the floor for a little bit. Kind of tell us uh, who you are, where you came from, you know, time, high school, college, military, and then we'll get into it after uh, that stuff. So, okay. Sounds good. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I think at any time to, to have an opportunity to talk about leadership and whether it be on the job or, you know, a lot of us are parents too. I apply a lot of leadership stuff to, to just my general household. So anytime to get together and talk about it, I, you know, I'm always thankful for that opportunity. So um, I grew up here. I was born and raised in the West Valley. Um, grew up in Peoria. Went to Peoria High School. Home of the Panthers. Graduated in 2001. Um, Another West Side. Yeah, d pretty deep rooted on the West Side. Uh, going back a little bit, uh, my parents were divorced when I was three. Uh, my mom bought a townhouse out in Peoria, 91st Avenue, and uh, just south of Peoria. Back then, 1985, 86 was basically on the edge of the universe uh, as far as we knew it, and uh, just surrounded by farmland. And uh, she worked. She worked hard. She worked in corporate America. She um, took a second job. Uh, let's see, my sister danced when when we were growing up. And you so have to she, kind of clarify what, that, what kind of dancing. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, we're 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 talking we're talking elementary age right now. So, so let's not go right there. Yeah, so my I was trying my, to protect your family. Yeah. So, so she she my my mom took a job on the weekends working at the dance studio that my sister uh, competed out of, and to be able to help pay for for her, her tuition or whatever you call the the membership there at the studio. Um, my dad. Uh, 
was local, you know, not out of the picture. We uh, grew up, you know, every other weekend, once a week, half the summer type deal, standard uh, divorced family, um, you know, was, was around, was present, but uh, um, was basically raised by my mom. Uh, my grandparents lived in Glendale. And uh, so we ended up going to school in Glendale, elementary school. We went in Glendale to Heritage Elementary. Um, it, it was just, it worked out uh, for the help that my mom needed at the time from my grandparents. Um, you know, and then on, on days that we were going to dad's house or whatever, it was still kind of centrally located. And so it just worked. So we went on a variance to elementary school in Glendale. Um, and then, so my sister, when she uh, finished and was going into high school, she ended up going into Ironwood, uh, Heritage Elementary feeds into Ironwood High School. When I was going into high school, they were no longer accepting any variances, no grandfathering of younger siblings. So I ended up at Peoria High School. So um, uh, growing up, I played sports. I did kind of quite a bit of everything. Like uh, I had to take piano lessons. Uh, my grandparents were, you know, my, you know my, my whole family was big on um, doing more, be, being broad, being able to, to, have experiences in different areas. So I did, I did piano lessons. I played sports. I did, uh, Taekwondo. Um, I did just, just kind of a, a little bit of a lot of different things. Just unfortunately with, you know, my mom's financial situation, being a single mom, um, she put us into absolutely everything that, that she could possibly do. Unfortunately, like we were, we were playing AYS sports. We were playing city rec league sports, you know, and just never really got that, that competitive level of competition till I got into high school. And, 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 and actually a lot of the stuff that I did growing up was social, you know, and I didn't really realize that until I, until I was older. But now looking back, I didn't play sports because I had a desire to dominate someone else. You know, I just, I played sports cause I had a lot of friends that were playing sports and, um, you know, kind of some of that competitive competitiveness didn't develop in me till, till after high school. So high school, you know, sports as, you know, second string guy that would come in every once in a while. And like, I'm, I don't have the typical a shift sports story. So uh, <laughs> average white guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, went to community college for two years, went to Glendale uh, community college for two years. Um, I did know in high school that I wanted to be into the fire service. Um, and actually initially what, what got me interested in the fire service was uh, trauma. Like I, I just love trauma and, and car wrecks and, um, you know, it seemed like a pretty significant chaotic problem that yeah, th I thought it would be pretty cool to be able to try to figure out how to, to, to put back together like a puzzle. You got to figure out what's going on with it, put it back together. So trauma was my, my initial interest into the fire service. But obviously, I learned quickly that, that uh, fire was the way to go to, to get into that. You know, started doing ride-alongs. I grew up like half a mile from downtown Peoria and Station 191, kind of an old school single engine station. With a that was a cool old station. Second, second story, all living quarters and stuff up up on the second floor so i was in my emt class uh at gcc i had to do some ride-along hours or get some clinical hours or something like that and so i showed up to to station 191 and they had no clue why i was there or who i was and so i they thought well we just mu must not have got the phone call that i was coming today or whatever so hung out with the, i had no idea what i was doing uh, i think we went and shopped but came back and sat at the table for you know a couple hours and those guys were trying to figure out what I was doing there. And then I think I just ended up leaving, you know, and then I had a, I had a paper that I had was supposed to get signed off and they're like, we don't sign off on, on papers. So th what ended up happening, there was, there was a South Southwest Ambo station, like three buildings down and through the EMT class, I was supposed to show up and do my ride along for my clinical hours <laughs> at the Southwest ambulance <laughs> place, but I just showed up to the fire station. So anyways, Good um, 
Yeah, so I was, I was. I had to get those forms signed too, but it's for community service. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your PO. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, that was kind of my initial uh, introduction into the fire service. I don't have like a crazy. I went on a ride along and you know blowing house fire, and it was awesome type of deal. I just I, I knew it was a career path that I wanted to get into. Um, I knew that I didn't want to do anything that involved sitting in an office or a desk. Or I knew that I needed to to challenge myself again. So transitioning out of high school and and um now i'm starting to get a little bit more of like the competitiveness that i wish i would have had back then so like i want to i want to be impactful i want to do something i want to be productive you know now i'm like i'm like i got this competitive energy in me that that uh now i have nothing to do with it you know so uh because i I well we'll find something for you to do with it so rubik's cube tournaments (laughs) right so it was a little bit. It was. It was. A, it was a tough go for me. I didn't have a. I didn't have a one family member that was a fireman. I didn't know any firefighters, uh, so I was going at it one hundred percent blind, taking classes like everybody told me to do at GCC. Um, you know, getting a couple written tests, do, doing written tests, uh, getting a couple interviews. I had no idea what I was talking about. I I was struggling in school. I was on like the five year plan at GCC, and uh, <laughs> it's about uh, three years too long. You know, right? working. I mean, I was, yeah, absolutely. I was. I've been on the thirty year plan. So yeah, okay. I was. I was working hourly jobs. I was waiting tables. I was bartending. I, my dad worked in construction, so I was working with him, um, and I was just spinning my wheels. So um, that was. See, I graduated in, in 2001. I was in my EMT class uh, for 9-11. Um, and then, so, you know, obviously the post-9-11, um, post-9-11 America, I think, is, was a lot different than it is today. And, I, again, I just felt like I, I needed to be productive, and I felt that that would be, for me, joining the military uh, at that time would be a way for me to be productive. Um, so I, I went ahead and I, I signed up. I joined the Army. Uh, any it, history, any family history in the military uh, or yeah, it, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. I do have, and I do have quite a bit of family history. No, no career military members in my family, um, but many service members, but it was, it wasn't anything that was ever on my radar growing up. It mm-hmm. was, it was, it kind of in my family, it was, it was just kind of known that you were going to graduate high school. You're going to go to college. You're going to graduate college and then go into working America. So, um, that and I didn't really fit into that. I didn't really fit into that format. I felt like and um, so there were some struggles. There were some struggles um, with my mom. There's you know obviously my grandparents were huge in in uh, in helping to to raise us and helping my mom out a lot and 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 that was just so different from what they had expected of me and so different than you know uh, you know you heard it here first, mom. That uh, yeah I didn't feel. Uh, fulfill my entire potentials you know the, the the classic deal that moms always tell their kids when they're not when they're not doing so good but uh and i wasn't i, I, I bet wasn't, she's fairly satisfied right now i think it all worked out yeah, uh-huh. i did i do but uh, boomer, bro. yeah <laughs> so it you know I, I joined the military and she um she was not happy about that as i, I don't know of many mothers uh, probably are super excited to to send their kid off to the military and in 2003 you know post 9-11 so um, I, I left for basic training January of 2004. Um, I was a medic, um, just a regular army medic. I didn't have any sort of special operations. I'm very vanilla. Where'd you uh, go to base training? Uh, so I was at Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, what time of year? I was January. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, that's funny. So I left it's better than August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. August yeah. there sucks. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't complaining too bad about, about the cold weather. I was much happier with that than having to deal with, with heat. But, uh, when I left, 
Arizona, I was in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, and it was January 21st. Uh, you did you, know, did you leave it, right from Meps or? No, I, the rec- a recruiter came to pick me up from my house at like, I want to say 4 5 o'clock yeah. in the morning, took me to the airport. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, shorts and a pair of t-shirt is absolutely sufficient in Phoenix in January. So, uh, but it is not sufficient in <laughs> Georgia. And uh, <laughs> when you show up to in-processing at, at, I'm sure, at Fort Benning, but I'm sure every uh, basic training installation, uh, you stand in line forever outside so yeah there's getting, just there's getting just a your lot of stare out of getting put into the financial system it's yeah. a big fucking line for everything right? yeah so that was that was a that was a rude awakening to to georgia but ended up working out um like i said i when i talked to my recruiter and my recruiter didn't lie to me i'll just come out and say that from the beginning um but it from what he explained that my the what i wanted to do is i wanted to go to airborne school i wanted to be with the infantry i wanted to do do medic things that would translate to um, the fire service when I got out. And I didn't end up doing any of those things, but I was like, you know, well, first I told, I first told the recruiter, he asked what you want to do in the army. And I said, I want to be a firefighter. And he said, we don't do that. What do you want to do in the army? And I was just <laughs> like, uh, okay, I want to be a medic. And he, so the official um, title when I was in the, the, the MOS, was a 91 whiskey at the time and was a healthcare specialist. And what they had done was prior to meet to that time frame, they had a 91 alpha and a 91 they Bravo, combine them, right? right? They yeah, combine it. So that. the 90, and I don't know which is which, and I'll probably get it wrong, but one of them, 91 alpha was a combat medic. 91 Bravo was a, a hospital medic. And uh, so they combined those two MOSs into a 91 whiskey uh, and that the title was healthcare specialist. And so we wrote, printed out a piece of paper and I was like a healthcare specialist that doesn't really sound like, like what I want to do and he's like no it is he's like you know there's med- the army needs medics you know everywhere everywhere there's uh, military personnel we need medics so you know it's infantry hospitals it's everything in between and the likelihood in you know January of 2004 of you leaving and and not getting sent to an infantry unit are, are pretty low so I was like okay cool and um so I wanted to go to airborne school. I wanted to go to air assault school. I wanted to do all these cool things. And he said, well, you're going to Fort Benning. He said, so, you know, the home, that's where airborne school takes place. So uh, he said, when, when you are finishing up basic training, somebody's going to, an airborne recruiter will come down to uh, your training battalion and fit, they, they'll, they'll have people that didn't end up being able to, to show up or, you know, Medically, they weren't able to, to attend airborne school, so they always need to fill slots. So, so no airborne contract in your contract? No, no, no. Not in my contract. Okay. Yeah. No, so I don't. He's like, let's just see how this fucking works. I, I didn't think. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think about this. <laughs> well, then air salt. <laughs> explain what air salt is because people, most people aren't going to know what that is. So air salt is a lot of the fast rope stuff. It's, it's kind of what you see on, on TV, helicopter stuff, yeah. out of choppers. Um, what the, the training that you actually get is, is a little bit more extensive than that. They do a lot of, um, it's a lot of like load systems. So um, they're the guys that, that, that can set up like, uh, like tie down systems and stuff like they can set up systems out of a, a larger aircraft that can drop either big supplies, um, vehicles, things like that. So uh, they're kind of like the TRT guys of um, in, in relation to the fire service. But their graduation uh, ruck's pretty, if I remember right, it's like the graduation ruck, it's 80 pound pack for 15 miles. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty intense. Time. Yeah. So you have to yeah. get it on. Yeah. Um, 
And so uh, apparently they did not, when I finished basic training, they did not need any slots filled uh, at the... <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> Weird. Funny how that worked out that way. So I went straight <laughs> on to uh, uh, Fort Sam Houston, and uh, there was the same story there. When you finish AIT... Um, which That's is a like year a, long, right? It, no, it, no, four months. Okay. Yeah. A year long if you're going into... Um, like special operations, then okay. you're going to have a lot more stuff. So, so basically, the the like the regular army, just basic, uh, a medic is a four month program. At the time, I'm sure it's changed since then. This was 2004, so it was four months. And the first month was your NREMT. So you do come out of there with a National Register EMT. They cram it into to four weeks of class. You take a test. I think you have a couple chances to. Um, to take the test and then you get recycled things like that anyways um and then you do basically three months of army medic training uh, you know a lot of uh, trauma stuff very little pharmacology uh, a lot of just archaic ways of of moving people from point a to point b <laughs> it's battlefield uh, shit right yeah. yeah yeah you can actually do a lot more so, as an army medic than you can, well, a lot more trauma stuff as an army medic. Like it is, it's 100 percent trauma based and yeah. and um you know, I, I get asked all the time, "How come you never? How come you're not a medic? Or does it does it transfer over? How come you're not a medic with the department?" And, and it does. And I, I mean, I wouldn't be doing the the department justice if it was an, it's just a transfer from from an army medic to to a, a medic here because we don't. You're dealing with young, healthy males for the, for the most part um, in the military. Young, young, healthy individuals. You know, a higher percentage of males. That's not our customers. Uh, well, I think. <laughs> I think I have run on a. a <laughs> you a saw one one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I found out we weren't there for him. We were there for him. <laughs> but no, um, no. So there's just there's no need for you know that learning all the different disease processes, and you're not going to be having an, an ob obese patient with high blood pressure and, and diabetes and stuff like that. So this is just not a need. So the need is trauma. Um, that's what was killing people on the, on the battlefield. And so that's where they focused in on training. So, um, and to me, and, and a lot of, a lot of it was triage based, um, uh, just, um, uh, the quick ability to, to triage, I think is what makes a, a good medic. And I think that I think that's the one thing that I think was most beneficial for me transitioning from, the army to to the fire service is the, the ability to to triage and that was i so uh, i'll get into that in a little bit but let me back up a little bit so ait go through medic school again um they were all classes full for airborne school and air assault i did not get get an opportunity there either so we all get cut orders i i believe there's about 150 of us uh there was a medic class graduating graduating every four months um <coughs> with I, and I want to say ours was, you know, 120 to 150. It was over 100 people. Um, and uh, almost all of us got orders to Fort Drum, which is in upstate New York, and assigned to the 10th, 10th Mountain Division, which is intense, right? I mean, it's a light infantry division. So, Ain't I mean, they, yeah, they, they, I mean, they have vehicles, but um, it's a light infantry deal so most of what you do is you most of what you you have the equipment you have you carry on your back and professional hiker and yeah and i was <laughs> and and at the time i was i was super excited about that and it was an opportunity f for me to go to a part of the country that i had never been to before and i you know um just experienced something that that i was really looking to get into and and i was super excited about it and then two about two weeks before we graduated medic school one of the drill sergeants came by and he's you know the end of day formation he said okay if i if I call out your name, stand by at the formation. 
called out six names. My name happened to be one of them, stand by after formation. And he said, all right, you guys all got cut in the orders. And so six of us then uh, got canceled for going to, to, to Fort Drum, and we got cut orders to go to Fort Bliss. And so we're all looking at each other like, okay, Fort Bliss. Man, everybody's going to Fort Drum. We want to go to Fort Drum. But, okay, we didn't know anything about where this was. So we get on the – when we had a chance, like on the weekend or whatever, we have to try to figure out where Fort Bliss is. It's in El Paso, Texas. I'm like, it's not very so, far from here. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, shoot, that's right down the road. Upstate yeah, New York, like, El Paso. Yeah, very yeah, similar. So, yeah. um, so – and this is just – I mean, <laughs> this is just my Army – career like just one day. and and uh you know so it show up to fort bliss and and um you know there's at the time fort bliss was the air defense artillery and now there's like a full um division of you know something there i don't even know what but it, it was it wasn't a very large installation at the time and it was the home of the air defense artillery and so they did not send me to the air defense artillery i got sent straight to the hospital <laughs> so there's an army hospital oh with a va attached to it and they're like you're gonna go work there you direct, direct orders cut. yeah <laughs> so it basically became basically became a cna yeah. a tech that can, i mean you know we could start ivs and do you know i mean but not what I was, what I was picturing. Uh, Not healthy young when males. I signed up. No, no. So now here we are. We're back to with the patients that we run on here. Um, but I tell you what, it was. I mean, my my whole military career was a great experience. So I, I ended up spending the majority of my time there at Fort Bliss, uh, at, assigned to the hospital. Um, and in in the mix of that, in the middle of that, I get orders to to go to Korea. So um, now I'm going halfway around the world. It's going to be a year long tour. Um, Never had a desire to go to Korea, but like, okay, well, might as well make the best of it. Um, and so it took off. Yeah, let's see. So basically, January, the, the whole year of 2006, I was in Korea. So uh, show up in Korea. They're like, you're, you're, this is the unit you're assigned to. And when I get to my unit, it's the air defense artillery. So now I'm with... Coming up in yeah. the world. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm with, you know, the units that are in El Paso. I just, like, I can't escape this world, you know. And, and, uh, At least you're out of the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Step up, right? Yeah. So, um, so is it near the DMZ? Is it is no, the we, base anywhere? So we were, I was, I was down south. And so the, the air defense artillery in South Korea is actually a real world mission for them because of the threat of missiles from, from North Korea. Right. Um, so there's actually uh, launchers and radar sites in multiple locations around South Korea. And there was a cycle of who was hot and who was in training. And they're mm -hmm. basically a, a kind of a mobilization cycle. Um, amongst those and uh, so you know training out in the field but so the, but the training there was nothing that a medic is going to do because this is all missile launchers and radars and looking at computer screens and you know there was like we had to set up a perimeter and like pull security and stuff <laughs> like that and you know so that, um, so that was my year in Korea and then came back and, and actually finished out back at the hospital um, before I got out so the thing that was good about it for me in the military was that I had people along the way that kind of took me under their wing. I had one of the, the first like section NCO non-commissioned officer that my, my first boss, basically when I got to the hospital, the first time um, was a guy who had come from Fort Bragg, which is a, uh, he came from the 82nd airborne, uh, which is out an, an infantry, a combat infantry unit. And this was his first time being in a non combat or a, a garrison environment he's um, probably going crazy yeah and and, and he wasn't and, and he knew that he knew that the six of us that had just showed up to him um from ait he knew that we didn't want to be there um 
and I don't think he really wanted to be there either. So he kind of, he managed to get himself into um, range details, you know, anything that involved training outside of the hospital, he kind of plugged himself into, and then he kind of scooped us under his wing and helped us out. So like anytime there's a range detail, um, believe it or not, the, the, everybody at a hospital in the military uh, has to still qualify on a weapon. Um, you know, and there's interesting ways that, that we get those doctors <laughs> to qualify on those <laughs> weapon <laughs> systems. Um, okay, it's five feet in front of you. Go. Yeah, yeah, you got, you, got, yeah, you got like a five meter target. <laughs> we're going to shoot three rounds and then we're going to stop and take a look and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this this paper has zero holes and this paper has six. So <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of silly stuff like that. But, you know, it was just opportunities to get out of the hospital. It was opportunities to, to make us feel like we were really in the Army. And um, there was also Donna Anna McGregor Ranges uh, just outside of Fort Bliss that um, were pre-mob sites for units that were uh, getting ready to deploy overseas and um, desert environment, obviously, in, in El Paso. So they had some towns set up, like mock villages set up, and guys would come in and do, do some of their pre-mob stuff. Um, so I got to hang out with a lot of different units as they would come in. So basically, you, to, to keep those ranges active and hot, you, you have to have non-participating medical personnel on site in order to keep those. So all these units that came Like through, our live burns. Right. They have medics. They have their own medics with them, and mm-hmm. their own medics are there to... Uh, facilitate treatment and, and things like that and we were there kind of on standby to if they needed transportation if they needed um you know more supplies stuff like that so we were kind of just there in a support aspect but um, got to work with a lot of different units uh, um, anything from you know kind of podunk national guard units uh to um, special forces units that would come through and it was just an interesting opportunity to to do some of those things um they were that, grabbing like hey you can come do this evolution with us yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the special forces guys were the best. They just had, you know, they had trucks of, you know, weapon systems. And they're like, you ever fired one of these before? We're like, nope. Yeah, well, jump on there. You're on the next, <laughs> you're on the next run. So, you know, they're doing drills with Humvees and stuff, mounted stuff. Just Army just SF stuff. guys or yeah. from all uh, different branches? Yes. Yeah, so, so the difference between, like, special forces and special operations, special forces is just Army. So you hear the term Green Beret, that's mm-hmm. special forces in the Army, and then you have the special operations community, which includes multiple branches, you know, Rangers, Navy SEALs, um, you know, the Air Force PJs, all, all the special operations, uh, all the different military services have their own special Under the Special group. Operations yeah, Command. Yeah, yeah, yes, yep, absolutely. I got you. Thank you. Um, so anyways, it kind of just just took advantage of the things that I could while I was in the military, and I knew, um, and actually transitioning out, um, I knew that I wanted to come back here. Uh, I knew that I wanted to test for the fire department, and I started doing that. And um, What year was started that? started going back to school in 2004. Four, okay. So, oh, no, I'm sorry. T- sorry, that's when I joined the military. 2008 is when, so the, the 2008 written test um, was the first test I took for Phoenix when I got out of the military, and I was I was... And like we didn't do another test for like three years, right? Right, right. So I was part of that. We, yeah, we were part of that group that was that just didn't hit the cutoff for the for the hiring freeze. So I think they did classes 08, 1, 2, and three, and then everything stopped. And yep. it, so and so then they we were class eleven one. Okay. Um. So basically, if we but we had take we were off of that two thousand eight written test. So nothing had been paused, I guess. Right. We would have been like class 084 or 091. So you were our first safer yes. uh, class. Was yeah. Glenn in your class? Glenn Ross? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so, so those were the red shirts that we trained for a year and two, a half, over, over two, two years. years or something. Yeah. yeah. 
it, Glenn's the one that actually gave me the yeah. X. Okay. Yeah, because they were with us for so long. Yeah. I was an RTO in 11.2, gotcha. and I didn't really know much about 11.1 at all. I don't know if that's good or bad. No, yeah, I just, no. <laughs> just timing, just timing. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, all. Absolutely. That's all. So, yeah, first class down at the new at the new training yeah, academy. Right. Oh, um, yeah. You know, so that was, that was interesting. Um, but just, just backing up a little bit, um, before I joined the military, I started dating uh, my who is now my wife, Morgan. Um, we started dating about six months before I joined the military, and uh, we I left for the military. We we started dating, knowing that I was going into the military, and so it was just kind of like this deal that we we're just gonna kind of see see how it worked. And I knew that I would I really liked her, and I knew that I wanted to keep hanging out with her. And I guess she she did the same, and she put up with me for for four years being being away in the military. And I would come. I mean, I was stationed in El Paso, so it's not like it was you know <laughs> this awesome. absent person for yeah. for four years. Um, <clears throat> You know, but it, it was definitely a struggle. But uh, you know, we she she stuck it out, and um, we ended up getting married in 2008. Um, you know, hiring freeze. Now we're married, coming out of the military, trying to get hired. Nobody's hiring. I'm you know a new husband, and feel like I you know need to be a provider of my family, and um, you know, so it was, it was a struggle a little bit. I was testing everywhere. Uh, I what were you doing for work uh, during that time? I was going to. I went back to school on the GI Bill, so I was collecting a little bit because GI Bill will or how it post nine eleven GI Bill post too. Post nine eleven, right? yeah. So at the time, money. I think it was uh, thirteen hundred dollars. Kind of like a tuition. Re- uh, well, I guess similar to a tuition reimbursement here, where uh, the GI Bill you will pay for your credits up front, and then the the military will give you monthly installments as long as you're. You're passing your classes. Yeah, and in yeah. class, right? Yes, and yeah. in class. Um, C's. Yep, that's all you need. <laughs> so went to school on the, the GI Bill. I had a con- completely different outlook on school. School was a little bit different for me the second time around. Uh, you know, so I was able to, well, my wife will kill me for this. but she. So I have the credits for my associate's degree, but I never turned in the paperwork to get it. You know, so I don't actually have my associate's degree, but I have enough credits. You know, but and to me, it's like it. Because what does that mean, an associate's degree? Like, I know that I'm going to still continue my education, so associate's degree was not super important to me. But anyways, um, I was testing all over the place, doing ride-along. So um, my brother-in-law and my sister's husband had gotten hired. So I left for the, We were kind of testing together. I left for the Army in January of 2004. He got hired with Buckeye Fire Department in, in August of 2004. So he got p- picked up pretty quick after after I left for the military, got out. So that was kind of like my connection, you know, so I would go ride with him. I still think I didn't really know what I was doing as a ride along. And it, maybe it, maybe it kind of hurt me because I was riding with a family member, you know, so maybe I felt a little more comfortable or, you know, whatever. I, um, I knew that I needed to, I knew that I needed to be around the stations, but I, I still think I was struggling on what I should be doing at the station, you know, and, and so how do you know until yeah, somebody tells right, you? Right. Yeah. Right. And so there was just still <laughs> kind of that, that, that whole awkward process of figuring that stuff out. Um, I ended up testing for a reserve <coughs> position with Buckeye Valley fire district and, and did that. I got hired there and, and did that for just under two years. Um, in the, so that's from the time of the written test in 2008, those are, I was working a little bit of construction with my dad, you know, waiting tables, going to school, you know, just kind of whatever I could do. Um, to, to help pay the bills my wife was working she was a teacher so she was working at the time so um so yeah finally worked out got got hired full-time in in uh, 2011 and so that it's, it's a kind of a funny story but they so they um i think i scored an 84 and 85 on my written so in 2008 with the five points 
don't on know. top of that? I, I don't know. Like, like, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, whatever it was, I didn't make the cutoff for a first round interview in 2008. Yeah, that, that was I worth not, the five points. Yeah, I did yeah. not have an interview in 2008. Um, so when they reopened this eligibility list or went back to this eligibility list to, to fill classes uh, in 2011, they had people that had, had moved or gotten hired other places or, or whatever. So they had to drop down lower on the list in order to fill in order to fill a class. So I ended up that's how I ended up getting an interview. Just Perfect. They had other guys. Yeah. They, yeah. they couldn't. So I showed up and uh, uh, I had never had a first round interview and uh, did, did a second round interview, did a, <laughs> did a chief's interview and and. Um, I worked with with uh, Crystal Rosanico before I got hired, and, and she helped me out a lot. And I still will strongly believe to this day that it was her effort, not mine, that, that got me through. So I so was that 2010? That. When when exactly yes, did that? Yes, so that okay. was that yeah. was 2010. I believe it was like September, October of 2010 was that second round interview, and then we started our academy January 3rd, January 4th, so right right after New Year's of, of yep. uh, 2011. We should probably go into that five points a little bit more. So in the Phoenix system, when you test, and it's only for firefighter, when you test and you are a honorably discharged member of the service. Got to have your DD-214? No. Uh, they just check your background. You actually oh, okay. have to turn it in. Um, they, will, they will give you five points on top of your written score. Um, As they should. Yeah. And, and then like a lot of times, like for me, like that pushed me way over the top. So I knew I was getting a first round interview. And then with Ryan, same thing. It pushes your, some guys get pissed. They're like, you just get five points. I'm like, yeah, fucker. All you have to do is go sign up in the military. Yeah, you yeah, could, easy. Get, yeah that's it. You could get five points. <laughs> yeah, just, just go sign your life away on a contract and be fucking <laughs> uh-huh. ruled by some And go to El Paso yeah. for four yeah. years. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's super easy. So <laughs> it's, it's really like 0. 0.75 points for every year you're in the military. Yeah. So, but that's how that works. So yeah, uh, graduate did uh, booter on which yeah, shift? A C shift, uh, engine fourteen, engine nine twenty five, and then ladder thirty three. Um, rode for just a little bit, not too long. Uh, ended up taking rescue three on C shift, and uh, ended up working with Chris Marini, and he was my rescue partner and uh, a guy that we grew up together. So I I'd gone to elementary school with Chris. I've known him since since we were five years old. His mom was my kindergarten teacher. Uh, <laughs> But because of but because of the the whole high school deal, he he went to Ironwood High School, and I went to Peoria, and um, you know it's so obviously we're going to lose contact, you know, through just through that situation there. But then I went off to the military. Guys are doing different things. He was playing, I, I believe, some sort of baseball, like semi pro. Is that what yeah, they call like it? Kenny Sem- Powers. Is Sem- that a like, yeah? Is that a game? Semi pro baseball sport. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, no, he was. Yeah, he He's was kind of a big deal. Yeah, he was a high level UVA, right? competitive baseball guy. So yeah. pretty hair on the job. Yeah, yeah. he's handsome too. He is. Yeah, perfect hair. A lot yeah. of product in that hair huh. every day. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my rescue partner, and it was good. You know, we um, we both had kids that were about the same age, um, and so it just, it just worked out good for us. And then who was the captain there? Uh, was Manny there? No, Still? after Manny, Manny Ruben Saavedra took it after Manny. Oh, so okay. Ruben Saavedra right. was the there. Couldn't remember the yeah. The timing. So when I took the spot, it was it was Ruben Saavedra, Alex Salgado, Adam Tynan, and a booter spot, and then me and Chris on the rescue. Cool. So um, along the way, Ruben had gone to go do PIO gig for a bit, and we had Larry Suburbi there on a temp while he was doing that. Um, I finished my 200 rescue shifts, and they were not ha- they didn't have any booters at the time, so 
uh, just slid right over from the rescue to the engine and I was able to hang out there for I don't know probably a year a little bit less than then kind of the the natural progression of uh, rescue three stay tuned alumni <laughs> is, is you, you stay there and then you go to station one so then <laughs> uh, started roving kind of station one rover on on sea shift and um you know that's when uh renee was down at south deputy on sea shift and um she was awesome and she kind of uh kept me around downtown kind of battalion one battalion eight area and and so then i ended up uh so i did that for for probably a year and a half took engine 18 on a shift yes what, what the hell are you thinking oh, no. frying pan <laughs> into the fire buddy yeah yeah so i took engine 18 on a shift and i j just felt like it was time for me i was having a blast as you know working primarily at station and, and i didn't i wasn't in anybody's specific spot you know but just with the amount of people that work at that station and um the amount of bls positions that are there especially with um the ladder and stuff like that there there just always seemed to be an opportunity to work there but uh so I went, but I, being the rover and being the fifth man on the truck, um, they're just, I, I felt a little bit stagnant. I had a blast and I had, I had a lot of fun, um, but I, it, it wasn't my home and I didn't have a spot. Those guys, I, I felt like treated me like, like I was one of the, like I did have a spot there, but it was just different. And, um, you know, I could have probably, you know, hung out there and, and waited to try to get a spot downtown, but I decided that um, I needed needed to challenge myself a little bit and I knew I knew early on I mean I kind of a roundabout way but you know this this episode talking about leadership and, and the captain's process uh, I knew that I wanted to take the captain's process the, the first test that I was eligible for I knew that coming into it um, actually both Chris and I on rescue three would, would talk about you know the, the pros and cons of taking the first captain's test and you know kind of what we needed to do to to prepare and that was one of the things that i that i felt was important to me was was to change what i was doing and and get out of my comfort zone a little bit so um gabe signs was the skipper at, on engine 18 on a shift when i took the spot and uh so actually glenn ross when he got promoted to engineer at the i gotcha. took this spot so i was there for uh i guess right at three years um so to took the test those are dog years and, yeah yeah yeah, that's that's one of the busiest companies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It changes from quarter to quarter, but they're typically in in the top three busiest, you know, stations. Yeah, station station-wise, 18's busy. Um, you well, know, they'll be in the top so, 10 nationally. Would they? Oh, yeah. yeah that's a busy truck. Now, individual yeah. trucks as a station. Are, are not. They're, they're, they're not as high just because it's a multi-company station. And that fucking needs to be. When the, when the, <laughs> the MR truck, the medical response truck, showed up, um, in 2016, when when I was there, you know, it was funny because we'd get I'd get texts all the time. Or people Did that really start at 16? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. And that MR truck is just wow. another truck it's they staff. A ton, a ton uh, like 12 hours is a 12 hour shift. 10. 10, 10 hour shift to help relieve the call volume there because that station will will consistently run 30 to 50 calls a shift. Yeah, right? combined. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't uncommon for, um, you know, the MR truck would be there. And, and it's at, I believe it's at Station 10 now. Um, but the MR truck at the time was there from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. And they would, you know, sometimes run, you know, probably their average was 10, you know, but they would definitely 
have their days where they were running running more than that. I, 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 somebody kept track of the record at one point. I think it was in the 20s, you know, in a 20-something calls in a 10-hour period. Every single one of them and completely then, stupid. That tells right. you how important the calls <laughs> yeah, are. If right, you're right, actually right. available to go on 20 calls in 10 hours, right. that tells right. you the quality Just of those calls. <laughs> so if you, if you show up and you're gone in less than five minutes, <laughs> that's not yeah. a real call. Yeah. And you don't have to go out the truck. Can't sleep yeah. here. Get the fuck out. Right. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. So a lot, of, a lot of Station 18 calls and... Um, how many times do you think you've been to the light rail platform at 19th Avenue and Camelback? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Lost count. I would say, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say Coconut Grove, Willow Springs, um, light rail. All beautiful Camelot. places. Um, All yeah. beautiful places. So, I, I mean, had a blast. Obviously, everybody knows that, that you, you, you stay at good places because of the people and, um, you know, a great opportunity. I had, I had good captains that, that worked at that station and were, were willing to mentor me and, and help me and they knew that I wanted to, to take the first test that I was eligible for so um, gave me a lot of um, ability to exercise my leadership skills and uh, work with booters and kind of kind of some run. good some not right yeah absolutely what was your leaving yeah. rank out of the military uh, so I, I came off active duty as an E4 as a specialist, and I was promotable. I had taken the I had taken the promotional process for E5. That's our first uh, kind of in in the army. I'd say E5 is your first non commissioned officer, so your first like leadership position. I mean, obviously, it's like, like almost uh, I'm trying to think like an equivalent, like similar to maybe in an engineer. I mean, you still get some like. You'll be able. You've to have added a squad. responsibility. You might manage four guys, right? Squads, yeah, yeah. like squad yep. level type stuff. Yep. So, so that's your very, very first intro into that specialist. If you're dialed in and like squared away, they might give you a little bit of, of yeah. responsibility. So, so you, it's not like the first. Of, I mean, obviously, you know, depending on where you're at in the military. I mean, some people are as strict as if you are an E2 and you are talking to an E1. So an E2 is like you. I think you automatically get E2 um, the day after you sign up. And you're in E1 for the day you sign up. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it's not that much I time. It's like six months or something. You get like a that stripe after basic training. Most guys, yeah, do, yeah. Unless you're a dumb fuck. Yeah. So, so me, it took a you while. know, I mean, technically, if you are that guy that finished basic training and you're talking to somebody who has not finished basic training, you are a leader to that person. But I would say E5 is kind of your first actual like. You got to figure some stuff out, and yeah. you got to manage some. People. You're not a dumb fuck. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was promotable when when I left active duty, but it, it's it, all of the promotions are based off a point system, and my points were always maxed out. Um, so I was chasing points until I got out, and then when I, I did two years in the reserves, when I got out, um, and this is a weird concept, a, but but part of that part of that point system is your physical fitness score. It is. Isn't that weird that, that they actually tie that to a promotion? I can't yeah. believe they it's would do strange, that. strange, right? Fucking weird. Yeah, you have to be able to perform Asinine. your job. Yeah. You have to be physically capable of doing your job. <laughs> you have to, even as a medic working in the hospital, you have to qualify on a weapon, mm-hmm. you know? So you still, have to, yes, you still have to meet the standard. So um, I, I made E5 when I got out and when I, when I was in the reserves, but uh, the reserve unit that I was in was kind of just like a manpower pool. It wasn't... Um, it was a hospital unit based out of. Uh, Is that when you reported to my brother in law? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was our. That's was, when Darren. Darren, he's an E nine, so he oh, okay. manages two to three thousand soldiers. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a pretty dog. gangster. Yeah, <laughs> people don't realize. Right, like, I, I, I haven't seen him in 
probably six, seven years. He just yeah. retired. Oh, did he? From, cool. you know, from the Army. Cool. Yeah, so he was, I, I believe he was, he might have been an E7 acting first sergeant mm-hmm. at the time. Might have been. And, and he got he was our first sergeant not long after I got to the unit. But I think when I first got there, he was like kind of out of class as, as the first sergeant. And he took over. But um, was he an asshole? No, no. <laughs> and 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 honestly, the the, the greatest thing because when when <laughs> when he took over as a, as the first sergeant, and and I believe he had had some some active duty time early on, mm-hmm. but had spent a large portion of his career in the reserves. Is that, is that uh, correct? I'd say about half and half. Okay. Well, no, probably seven years, like active duty. Okay. So yeah, I needed 20 something. Um, yeah. So, so that was one of the first things that he wanted to do when he took over as a first sergeant was to uphold the standard of the PFT, the army physical fitness test. And, and he wanted to kind of go through the entire unit and, we were PT testing everybody oh, until I remember this. he was they weeding passed. some people yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. He, yep. he was. We were PT testing. Um, every to take one every month. Every drill weekend. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One. Until and 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 I don't remember what the number was, but I think if somebody hit a certain number of PT tests that they didn't that they didn't pass, he was trying to process them out of the military. Yeah, Darren so, does not fuck around like that. If like you're not gonna do your job, like you know, hold the standard, you gotta go. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're doing a monthly, you don't have a a big. Uh, a lot of time to screw yourself up physically, meaning uh, be unprepared. Oh uh, yeah, you yeah. do. You have yeah. like twenty nine days to eat and drink. Well, I think that yeah, and <laughs> and I, <laughs> still, man, it take just a little bit of work. Right. Yeah, some remedial. I think PT. That, you know the struggle with the with accountability in the reserve system is that you just don't have that daily face time with your with your members to, mm-hmm. you know. You do, you do your best, but there's no way that you can control somebody. Yeah, it's like for us going from the academy out onto probation. You yep. do everything every day, all day for 14, 15 weeks, and then you go out and you're, you're only you're doing a tiny bit every third day. Yeah. Yeah, you lose it fast. All right, so yeah, so Darren, work pool, that's when E5. Yeah, yeah, so uh, I ended up making E5 in the reserves, but, it, it, you know, I wasn't – like this leader. I mean, I think I had a couple of guys that I had to do like uh, your monthly counseling statements or, you know, your um, performance gradings on or something like, but I was only in the reserves for two years and, and uh, I, I wasn't in a unit that was basically this unit was a man, a manpower pool. So we, that, that unit never deployed um, as a unit. If this unit from Kentucky national guard needed three surgeons, two nurses, and four medics, they would shop out to, to these units. And, um, the, the, you know, our unit would be like, okay, well, I can give you one surgeon and two medics, and then they would have to go find, you know. It's a rover pool. Someone. Absolutely. Yeah. Rover pool. Yeah. So I did that for, for a couple of years. And, um, so I don't know where we're at. Yeah, back to Station 18. Um, that's where I took the test. And When did you get yeah. involved in FireVet? Now was a good oh, time okay. to about yeah. that, too. Um, what it is, what they so do. So FireVet is uh, a local affinity group, and uh, for people who are not af- familiar with affinity groups, it's uh, my, the easiest way for me to explain it is a mentorship opportunity for people who are interested in the fire service, and there are several different affinity groups, and um, we are just one of them. Uh, we kind of, a lot of the, the people who are involved uh, as mentors are veterans. It's not a mandatory thing. You don't have to be a veteran. We've helped a lot of guys get hired that, um, that are not veterans. And, uh, but we just feel that we, we kind of owe it to the veteran community to provide some resources, some, um, and, and then just the ability to talk about their military career in a way that is impactful uh, for, their, for their interview coming up. Because 
um, what, I've, what we notice is a lot of people don't necessarily value their military career the way that, that I know that this department values their military career. Because we get a lot of people like, well, I was, you know, I was an infantryman. Well, what was that? You know, what am I going to talk about in an interview? Like, okay, well, were you um, a part of a, a small team that relied on each other and a skill set and a set of equipment, and you had to work in an inherently dangerous situation? Uh, you had to critically think and make good decisions and stay calm under pressure. Like, did you have to do those things as an infantryman? Like, yeah, I don't, every day. Like, okay, well, then that's exactly why your you being an infantryman matters to to the phoenix fire department because you you bring the you bring that skill set that you don't even value but but we value it we need it so um so yeah that's a got involved with fire vet for that um just that mentorship i i, I love working with booters i love working with um with people who are motivated to to do something you know it's it's a breath of fresh air to work with a bunch of recruits to work with a bunch of guys that are trying to get hired um they hold me accountable um because, you know, guys are trying to get hired. They are hanging on every single word that you say. And so, like, I, I've got to be true to, to what I'm telling them. I have to uphold that standard myself. So I've um, just been always real passionate about mentorship. And, and uh, so working with booters at, at Station 18 and taking the captain's test, I think it was all kind of a natural progression for me. And then fire vet, too, not only helps mentor uh, people that want to be firefighters, but you guys will do stuff for engineers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you guys do fundraisers stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, well, that's like community involvement. There's a there's an organization called US Vets. They have a facility um, right, right around 35th Avenue and Grand, um, where it's a it's a housing um, kind of transitional housing opportunity for homeless veterans, and we've done meals there. Um, you know, just just different outreach stuff. We usually do uh, a big fundraiser around Veterans Day weekend and uh, donate or a lot of the money to different uh, scholarship funds or, you know, whatever the case may Every be. Every time I go to the Veterans Day Parade, there's more and more firemen in the in the fire vet uh, yeah. part, part of that. It's actually really cool yeah. to see. Now's the time. Like, you know, we went so long pre-9-11, there's no war, but now we've been at war for 11-plus years right. or whatever. So, yeah, there's definitely going to be more and more and more yeah. out there. Good. So uh, that's kind of Ryan, his deal. Mike, like... We'll just jump in, in into the into the promotional process. Why did you want to take the test? You and I, Mike and I, were on a rescue together for a hundred shifts back then. We never fucking had that talk. We we're like, whoa, we're gonna lift. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're gonna eat. Uh, we we have fucking no no concept <laughs> of promotional anything at that time. Well, way to set him up. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't plan on taking the test at all. Really. Yeah. Um, I I had that spot at station one and. I kind of planned on retiring out of there as a firefighter. That was kind of my thing. I was, I was comfortable down there. It was a good spot. You know, I had good guys on the trucks, and we were running good calls. And, you know, so uh, what, uh, what kind of changed is uh, guys started uh, retiring or leaving, and uh, there was some movement at the station. And then one of the guys decided he was going to take it. You're like, that idiot's going to take it? There's no fucking way. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm fucking he, taking this He asked station. me if I would take it with him. Gotcha. But it was six months out. Like, the test was six months away, yeah. you know? And I was like, I don't know, man. I that's years for, for a guy in a good spot, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. yeah years away. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, four weeks, fuck it. Just jump on it. <laughs> yeah, you got a brain to do it. I, <laughs> I can't. It took me forever just to find the bibliography. <laughs> I had to get a new password from email because I never checked that email before. 
So I had a whole bunch of stuff I had to do before I, I took the test. There's a lot of learning. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, when you're a BLS fireman, there's, a lot there's of opportunity. not a whole lot to do, you know. <laughs> so we, we ended up deciding to take the test and then studied for What year was that? Uh, I don't know. Five years, six years ago, okay. whatever that test was. So 14? 14. 14 test, yeah. Yeah, 13, 14, whatever that was, okay. yeah. So, see, I'm not even good at math. <laughs> so, good thing you don't have to be on this job. <laughs> so, we, uh, we took that test. and uh, So, you took it because a buddy was taking it. He said, Take it with me? Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of like kinda, half. Yeah. Okay. Kind of half, halfway in, halfway out. And then I started getting into it. And then was like, Well, this sounds like a pretty cool thing to do. And so, we got really into it. And then the process started. And then once the process really started and we did the written, then it was, then we were all in. At least I was all in, you know, and uh, started going through tactics. We took the tactics class with Chris and Kurt, and uh, yeah, and then that drug you down. <laughs> was that class uh, somewhat beneficial? So the way it was really beneficial is I had no idea how to talk about fireground stuff, like an on-scene report, on-scene like... report. Like we had done them, right. you know. We we're on the rescues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a couple that we had to do and. Like uh, I don't remember those, but yeah, okay. We had, yeah, so <laughs> I was I was a lot more Buffy before I started working with Brandon, and then I got real. He sucked that right I out. Got of real you. checked. <laughs> he, he got real B shifty. Yeah, real B shifty quick, and uh, so it, it it made me think about how to uh, how to communicate better on the fire ground and how to communicate my plan and like do those like things. language type stuff like uh, you know. Uh, you know, the words and the terms and the phrases that we use or um, kind of taking what you see and putting it into words. All of the above. Okay. Yeah, because there's a vernacular you have to learn. Like, Oh, yeah, it's a second like, language. Yeah, that's like yeah. specific, right? Yeah, and, it, it, you know, to make sense to people, um, you know, especially on B-Shift, to make sense right. in a way that, that everyone understands, you know, mm -hmm. and, and paint Two that syllables. picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, you know, as a BLS fireman, you're... You're looking, you're going to, to make sure that nobody's in there. And then once nobody's in there, then you, you put the fire out. And that's kind of the mindset. Right. Whereas a captain, you have a lot more to think about, you know. And so the, the process helped me become a better fireman. Um, and so going through that process, because before I didn't, I didn't really read volume one, volume two, those sorts of things. Who does? <laughs> you know? Like, Maybe Stuart. Yeah, why would you? <laughs> Maybe Stuart. <not>. So, <laughs> so, you know, when I started getting into that, then you started kind of seeing a more broader picture of, of being just a fireman and you know, what the captain's looking for and that sort of thing. Cause like I said, when I was a fireman, that's, that was, that was it. I was just going to be a fireman, a, a Tim Smith, if you will, that, you know, was Legend. a BLS fireman. So, right. um, so we took that, uh, did good on the tactical, did fairly good on the interview, came out 65 on the list, uh, came three away from getting made on that one. That's not bad for a half-ass effort. No, but, you know, uh, so then that kind of, like, fired it up to go, well, I guess this might be something that, yeah. you know, yeah. could work out. Which, in all the lists prior to that, you at 65, mm -hmm. you should have, you would have gotten me. Well, and I'm really grateful that I didn't get higher, because I don't think I was ready to be a made captain. I needed to be moved out, because that was the other thing. So I was, I was moving up in-house, which is a good thing to do to start out and kind of get your feet wet. 
And especially if you have a good captain that's kind of watching you and kind of making sure you're not making that's like a good real, safety net, right? Real fatal errors. Yeah. Uh, but once you get past that point and you get that, you're on your own, buddy. Now you're on your own. <laughs> like you have to get out, especially at a, especially at a multi company station. Because I felt the same thing at 18 as I moved up a lot in house and and uh, so I I was. I think the first shift that I roved out was the day I got promoted. Mm-hmm. So like every everything that I had done prior to the me. day I got promoted yeah, the same with was me. was all in house and you do you have that safety net and in a multi company station you not only have the safety net of your own truck and your own comfort zone but then you have the second truck coming in behind you that you're that you're comfortable with and have confidence in. And so. Yeah, and I had, I had really super senior guys on on all three trucks, you know, that I could lean on, and they could basically bail me out of, of really bad situations. Yeah, if they're sitting and, on the back, like in the back seat, and they say, "Oh nope, do you say this or check that or whatever." Yeah, and, and Don was really good about kind of managing, screaming at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a in a quiet, uh, yeah, a loud, quiet way, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, keeping keeping me on track to uh, to do really well, you know, um, but. Uh, you know, getting out of that because I knew what everyone did. I knew what the guys were going to do. I knew who they were, what the crews around us were going to do. Like, you know, everything was just, it was super simple to, right. to do that. So I think in our system, that's kind of how it goes, right? Everybody takes tactics and strategies from one of the college courses, right? That's kind of the start. Like, yeah, there really oh, is only one now. Yeah. Like, Oh, I like, I need to take that class. And if then, they don't, they should. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I took it, but, but my first question to Stuart was, how many of these can I miss? <laughs> and he said four, but we don't take attendance. Yeah, we <laughs> suck at attendance. Yeah. I'm like, this is going to be great. No, <laughs> just because I had a million things going on. But no, but so everybody kind of takes that. And then during that, is that when I'm not, because I didn't follow the regular process, like, does, does that when you guys start picking up the bibliography and start reading that thing? Because the written test is first in the Phoenix system. Well, so on the first test, no, because well, I was so far behind. Of the bibliography had came out like months and months and months prior, right? You know, and guys were roving through and studying, and they were hiding in their rooms and studying and doing that whole thing. And then, so I, I was so far behind the curve on the first one that, but on the second one, yeah, like I I started studying uh, well well a year out, really. I mean, yeah. So let's describe the bibliography a little bit. So the bibliography is our uh, our administrative state. Uh, um, Standard operating procedures are operational standard operating procedures. There are um, uh, there's some building construction. There is fire Our command. Apparatus. There's apparatus. Um, hazmat. Yeah, there's manual. a hazmat uh, a attachment. Ladder manual. Oh, the ladder manual is in there now. Um, city rules, I think. Is that a thing? ARs? Probably personnel city rules are in there. City ARs. Um, I call them reference books. So <laughs> a, a fair amount of things that actually have that that you haven't really had any exposure to prior to saying you're going to take this test or, or in interest, because we, we, although we, the things we teach in the Academy are foundational or or have their foundation in volume two, it's not, uh, you you don't understand that that's where it's coming from. So it's a pretty, pretty, it's a large volume of stuff that you're just learning about. It's probably two feet tall, right? Yeah. 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 That's a lot of, that's a lot of information to to go through and it's not, the most appealing it reading. It's probably the through. most reading uh, a majority of those guys that take the test have actually ever done in their life. And will ever do. For yeah. a 100-question <laughs> test. Thousands right. of pages. Yeah, right? Yeah. And 100 multiple choice questions. I can tell yep. you that is not the approach that I took. Right? <laughs> so I was, I was like, man, because I was working two jobs, 
you know, running the training stuff. I'm like, how can I get through this? I'm like, I'm going to ask a bunch of dudes who already took the test if I can see all their notes. And that's basically what I did. Yeah. I, I took all their notes and just comprised whatever. Then I was lucky enough to have Jen type it all up for me and I threw it in quizzes and that's what I studied. But I didn't have, I just didn't have the time to do. I did the same thing on my engineer's test. I took Adam Alvarez's old book and that's what I studied. And like Matt Redding came by when I was like, like before the test, like three days before the test, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm studying Alvarez's book. He's like, we don't even have high rise shit on our test. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Whatever's in here, I'm studying. <laughs> All I need is somewhere in the high 70s or the low 80s on the, on the engineer's test to be able to get there. So most guys start studying about a year out, written wise. Uh, I, did? I, I did not. I, I told myself at six months out and just because I knew my study, my study habits and my ability to retain all that information that, that the first thing that I did was when, as soon as I got home, I broke out that broke down that entire, uh, two foot stack of paperwork into multiple different binders. So like I never carried it cause it can just be overwhelming, you know? So like I would carry around my volume two binder for, a couple weeks then i'd get so sick of reading volume two then i would grab the ladder manual and i had one that was like all the small stuff like ladder manual rules um you know hazmat and i would carry that one around for a couple weeks so i get sick of doing that stuff and then i would i kind of bounced around a lot i, I would work on because I, I just would get bored with it and then i would so then i would kind of dive into some interview stuff and i would get feel like i was frustrated and spinning my wheels and so i'd kind of put that aside and work on some tactical stuff. And, and so I, just, I, I tried to have a balance between all three aspects of the test. Um, cause I, I, to me that from, from my study, uh, habits and things was, was going to be the most productive. Did you take tax and strategy too? I did. And I, I think that was before uh, uh, the revamp. Um, I can't remember. Was exactly. Chris teaching uh, yeah. 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 Chris and, and, uh, and Kurt and Joey, I think we're oh, was Joey? Okay. Yeah, Joey, hung, was, out. Joey jo hung out with us for a semester. Yeah, yeah. That, so that was okay. The one. So that's all the new stuff, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it's I believe not I, new stuff. It's well, just but you know, yeah, I mean, you yeah, introduced different. Yeah, ideas. we I actually explained it. Yeah, <laughs> I believe there are how no the secrets. Yeah, I believe how the timing worked out was that I I took the class prior to, or I, the bibliography had posted, then I took the class, and then written just, that's how just, i did just because of timing yeah it's timely and then yeah. it's fresh in your head and all right. that kind of stuff too because there is a portion of when you go through that cl that class and it seems like everybody struggles with the um iep portion of it so yeah. um there's the most tears yeah because 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 they've, they've never talked about it. like a lot of guys will 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 know how to give an on-scene report or like no basic well stuff yeah they want to focus on the task level right uh, you know we're going to pull lines we're going to lay lines we're going to do this stuff and that's not what it is it's these are the things that, 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 that have to happen on the fire ground and rovers to achieve the tactical objectives. And that's, it's, it's a, this slow, painful process of dragging guys out of the task level up to the strategic level. And I remember that uh, because I, I appreciated that class and like how it was delivered because it gives you a different view of it. But I remember texting Jason Newman. I'm like, do you feel like Goodwill hunting in this? Like, why are we an hour and a half on the same fire problem? Yeah. There's some guys that just can't get off it. I'm like... And then, and then you'll see a couple guys, and like they, you guys did a good job of saying, do one. One of the things in this class that'll get you in trouble is if you fucking say because we've always done it this way. And then when I hear a guy say, I'm like, oh fuck, here it comes. Yep. Like, they just said that is not a good answer for fucking doing something. That was always entertaining to watch as well. Yeah, no, it was a uh, that part of the class. The um, the the guys. The guys that would say, you know, the this is how we've always done it. We had the the one guy. I remember it was a uh, 
was that a laundromat fire that you put up? Oh yeah, I remember and that the, one. The smoke was actually coming Isn't out of shows the a, a TT, uh, something like that. <laughs> the smoke was it was coming. I, I don't out even of, remember. No, it was it was bad, but it was it was a bad bad fire. And they said, oh, we went, we did that one, we we did it. And you're like, ooh, yeah, don't do it again. <laughs> He's like, well, that's how we 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 would do it again because that's how we did it. I was like, oh god, here it comes. Yeah, because un, unreinforced. Don't do that. Masonry laundry room. I mean, uh, laundry mat, right? Yeah, that was the picture. <laughs> Fully involved. Man, you guys have a way better memory than I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, we just remember because he got his ass handed to him for saying that. I was like, okay. Oh, and didn't get it. Yeah, it did, still didn't get yeah. it. Yeah. Well, uh, so you can't teach them. luck, right? They, they were lucky. <laughs> yeah. they, they they had a shamrock, whatever, that day. They, they got it done, and uh, they need to know it's luck. It ain't fucking skill. And uh, here's what you actually should be able to pay attention to. Yeah. And, like, it's cool to have you in here because as, like, the person that that's teaching it, you guys go size up is first, right? Yeah. yeah. Which which can you explain we, size up? Yeah. So we'll explain everything. We go through the functions of command. We go through strategic decision making, and we make a comparison. Hey, this is what they both are, and this is what they both mean, and this is why we we're going to talk about all of them. Uh, and then we b- start to break down. We we spend way more time in strategic decision making than we do with the functions of command, because it's operational. It's where a captain's heads at when they show up. So when we first talk start talking about size up is that's the measurement of the problem, right? You got to be able to figure out what's actually happening on the fire ground, because if you don't truly understand that, whatever solution or whatever action you come up with, you're going to probably be, uh, or you have a, you have a high, uh, high likelihood of going off in the wrong direction and, and possibly doing something dangerous or ineffective really. And so you got to be able to figure out what's going on. You have to be able to take uh, building construction, occupancy type, uh, fire behavior um, and you know what are our tactical priorities? What are we there to do? And you got to be able to combine all those and assess uh, them with a certain set of questions to be able to figure out this is what's going on. And to spit something out in thirty seconds. So take all that complicated stuff you have to look at and then dumb that down into a thirty-second statement that is conveying a situation or an atmosphere. To people that are coming behind you, yeah, and, and if you and if you suck at it or you're not a, good at it, then your ability to measure risk because the next step is risk management, and then and, and then and then strategy, which is from what position are we gonna are we gonna tackle this incident, and which then, is gonna be their offense. So yeah, either inside the hazard zone or yeah. outside the hazard zone, and then here's here's the action that needs to take place to to achieve an all clear under control and a loss stop, um, and so at any point in there. Uh, if your size up is off, you stand a really, really good chance of your other stuff being off. And, uh, and, and they're so interde- interdependent of one another that if, you, if you're off in any step, then you, 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 you stand a chance of either doing something dangerous or, or something ineffective. And then I'll let these guys answer this. But like when, like he, when, when, the, when you first start going over size up, it's like you want to talk about fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, pink zebras. Just, yeah, instead yeah. of just what's important, right? How did, how did that transition go for you guys? It, it wasn't too, too bad because the way they break it down is pretty, pretty simple. You know, and once you go through a couple of steps, you know, you do it a few times, you kind of get the idea that you don't need to really break down exactly what that house looks like from yeah. top to bottom. We kind of have an idea of what our houses look like, especially in first certain first. What's dues. critical, right? And yeah, exactly. What's critical. Like if if you're downtown and you have a house with a tile roof, that's probably a pretty big, pretty big thing you want to talk about. Right. right? there's not a whole lot of tile roofs down yeah, there. Yeah, because it's rare. <laughs> it's very rare, you know. But if you're up north or down in Ahwatukee, that's kind of assumed that it's a tile roof. I mean, you can say it, but right. it's kind of assumed anyways. But 
Yeah, I think just going over that size up and, you know, kind of figuring out what you need to say, making sure, first of all, it's on the right tactical channel because that's been done. I've done it my best, real early on. My best on-scene report is on fucking Same channel here. one. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> it's a dress rehearsal, so I can just go to the right channel yeah. and, then, and then give it again. Same here. So it was, you know, but but being able to go through that, and, that process. And determine what is critical to, to talk about in your size of Well, I think another challenge is that when we are first, our first introduction to this method of thinking we're introduced to it with still pictures so we're that's just a challenge because as one person is talking and giving their size up they're like i wonder if they saw that crack in the cement on the left (laughs) side (laughs) of the picture they didn't catch it i caught it you know and so you're 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 looking for you're looking for zebras you're you're trying to make stuff because you you just want to know everything about this building and we still haven't when you're early on in the process you still are still trying to figure out what's critical and what's not. And, and I know the, the, the famous term of if everything is critical, nothing is critical. Um, it's and, true. That's, and, and I think, uh, you know, as we, as you evolve in from still pictures to videos, to um, live buildings, to actual incidences, you know, I think your, your ability to communicate those things improves over time. Well, and that's what, like going from my first test to my second test, because I was the only one in this room who has taken two multiples. There there has to be one. But, (laughs) you know, like Ryan, he had his stuff. You're also uh, one that's outside the number 10. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, outside, I'm outside of 10. Too. I thought you were lower than 10. What was your 12. number? 12. Uh, fuck I was 11. The people's yeah. number one. Yeah. <laughs> people's number one, number two. Yeah. 10, 10, 11, 12. That's funny. <laughs> that was funny. I mean, just speaking about numbers, like, uh, I was obviously super excited because it's just, it's such an unknown. Like, everybody feels pretty confident about their stuff. I mean, unless you totally, uh, you know, mess the bed or whatever. Like, you, you pretty much feel confident in what you're doing because you've spent so much time on it and uh so it's like you could come out number 12 or number 60 and like i would if they told me i was number 60 i'd be like okay cool well, I, I deserve number 60 you know and and uh so that's just kind of the weird thing about where you come out on the test but i was i was jacked you know i was i didn't even think it was real i was asking my wife i'm like hey I, can you read this she, she's like what's wrong what's wrong and i'm like well, i think this says i came out number 12 but i don't that can't be right. I'm like, well, you read this, you know, and, and uh, so it was a very surreal thing. And then I'm texting, you know, kind of my study group um, was Chris Marini and Jordan Redfield. <laughs> Those knuckleheads came out number three and number eight, and I'm still the loser of my, of my group. So. <laughs> <laughs> you came in third. Yeah, third. Yeah. Well, and, like, that's the hard thing. Like, like people ask you, like, well, how'd you do? I'm like, I either smashed that fucker or I'm last. That's exactly how I felt. I'm like, that's I don't exactly know. I'm like, I, I feel pretty good, but I have no fucking idea. I could be fucking 60-something. And then to Mike's point, you're 51. 49. 49, sorry. So, so, <laughs> so, so I honestly, no bullshit, I don't think there's a lot of difference in ability from 1 to 50. No. So I could tell you, uh, just from a percentage standpoint, for, so my study partners on my captain's test in 1999, uh, there were four. I, I was number 11. Uh, my two partners were 41 and 44, and there was uh, four points separated us in you know in that in in a 30 yeah basically yeah, so a 30 a position race, span tight. in between yeah. one and ten it ain't it ain't measurable yeah yeah so now we set you up better no and i yeah, i know <laughs> i know my weaknesses yeah. are like my interviews i know <laughs> that and you know that I oh, mean, it's, it came a long way though sure dude. that was yeah. my my downfall in both both sets was my interview ability um, I have no problem talking about tactics and i love i actually love doing it and buffing yeah. out to it a lot 
I'm not judging you. It's I'm glad right. you got away from Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell a story about Mike and I when I first got there. Go ahead. And, uh, but yeah, so that's when I, my first one, I learned a lot of what I needed to do for the second one. And so I did, I did really well on the, on the written portion, both. I was high 90s on both uh, written, but I studied a lot for, for the second one because I didn't want to get so close to getting made on the first one and then fail the written on the second one. Cause gotcha. you know, the thing is that happens, right? It happens. Yeah. And you know, if it, Don's big thing that he was telling me and she goes, you, the written's not going to propel you up into the ranks, take it to the dance, but it certainly will yeah. crush you if you don't do good. Yep. You know? So I want to do really good. And so like Ryan, I was kind of, you know, throwing in some interview stuff and some tactic stuff while I was doing my written but I did a lot of written because I wanted to score really high to make sure that I could go to that. So that, that actually brings up a good question for both of you guys is like if if it was a pie chart and uh, um, written written test, tactical and interview, how much time did you spend in each? Because I know for me, I spent like no bullshit. I probably spent 15 to 20 percent of my time for the written and then uh, probably 40 yeah, forty or forty percent for, for for my tactic side, and then the rest was was interview. Uh, I would say for me, it was probably pretty similar. I did just because again, like I was saying earlier, I knew that that I was not going to be productive if I started a year in advance. I got six months was my cutoff time um, with the written. I I knew that I didn't want to sacrifice anything because I was studying. Um, I had two kids at home um my wife at the time so my wife was diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer in, in uh october well in 2017 um and had a surgery in october of 2017 to have her full thyroid uh removal um and then there's obviously treatment and stuff like that afterwards um so we were kind of going through that process with the kids and stuff like that and then the uh, the written test was in 2018. She ended up having a second surgery in 2018 for what they thought was a recurrence of um, tissue in her thyroid. But um, so they, they went back in and they it was, it was kind of a crazy deal because the, the doctor came out and talked to me and he said, hey, everything went good. It doesn't look like anything's cancerous. But on her first surgery, what they do for the thyroid is, is they put like a dissolvable packing material into uh, the surgery site. Um, and for some reason or another, her, her body kind of rejected that. And so instead of absorbing that, that internal packing tissue like it was supposed to, it encapsulated it and turned it into what looked like on an ultrasound a mass, oh. um, which is very concerning. Wow. So, um, yeah, so that was in 2018, like right in the middle of all the, the captain's process stuff. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that, that was a challenge. And, you know, so there, my role at home, um, was more important to me than my ability to study. Rightfully so. And um, when when I was at the station, I tried to, tried my hardest not to be the guy that just hid away in his room all the time. And we had probationary firefighters. It was important for me to be present for them, um, to, to answer questions, to go over stuff on the truck, to train, to work out, to do skills courses. Like I, I felt that like that was my job to be there for them. So again, study, the, studying the written stuff um, basically came down to, I studied mostly at the station and I studied, um, when I went to bed, I would just stay up for like an extra hour, hour and a half, whatever, you know, time allotted. 
uh, at the time. And if I got through a bunch of stuff, cool. And if I only got through two pages, like that's just, it, it was what it was. And, um, so I, I would say that a lot of my, a lot of my, the, the written was not a big thing for me. I mean, and it showed I scored an 88, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't kill it, it's not bad, but, though, but you know, that's to be honest score. with you at, at the time, I, I didn't really care because there was a lot more things that were there that were more important to me than, than, uh, than that written test. And then, um, kind of dove in, obviously I had done quite a bit of, uh, tactics and strategy stuff along the way, but then I kind of really dove into it more. So, you know, in a long, a long, uh, answer, I would say probably like similarly 40, 40, 20. Okay. I don't know if the math adds up on that, but I think it, it does. does. It's good. That's a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you? about time wise, right? Well, yeah, yeah I mean, the when amount you of time you invest, or you you could invest, or, or you or you chose, or you carved out, because everybody has something going on: kids, yeah, work, absolutely. two jobs, yeah. this, that, and the other. It's like you're gonna have to try and fit it in somewhere. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess if like you're a single dude with no fucking responsibilities, you have no excuses. Do, yeah, then then that's a different story. But people, that yeah, I was single, going. living by myself. <laughs> when you take the count and says, wow. Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, same thing. You know, I I studied only at work. I didn't take any of it home with me. I, I didn't do anything home. At, at home, um, just because you know, wife, kids, right. you know, school. I was coaching dream so, killers. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dependents were they were killing me. <laughs> <laughs> dream killers are all they, over the place. <laughs> so you know, and that was the big thing because a lot of guys. I don't want to say a lot of guys, but there's guys that take they just do it all the time, and it ruins your home life. You know, when that's. Yeah. Well, that's all you do because oh, yeah. your family struggles a lot with this test. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's that's a big part that I think is missed. How good is your wife at on scene reports? She's amazing. Her strategic decision-making is <laughs> impeccable. But, you know, so uh, the first one, like I said, I, I didn't put a whole lot of time in the first test. So that And it showed, you know. But uh, the second test, I went all in, and I was out acting every every shift. Which is a huge help, right? Uh, which is huge, and like, like I said before, you know, if, if guys are are doing it and they're moving and they're moving up in house, they need to move out. You need to go out because it's it's one thing to manage the guys you know; it's a whole nother thing to manage a bunch of guys you don't know. When it's and tough you, too, like in, if like you're in Ryan's position, you can't go out and act. Like what you right. got is what you got. It's either in house or practice on your own, or like whatever. But you different route, longer route. But I think you get a lot more experience that way too. Yeah, and so I, I was able to actually take uh, some temps, uh, like Engine 58, that, that came open and no one wanted it. And so I was able to take it as a move-up captain. And all the guys, well, three of the four of us on the truck ended up taking the test. We're, we're taking that second test. And so we all ended up getting hired, but we, we would all do tactics. We'd all do, you know, on together. airports together. Yeah, and we would, you know, which, which helped a lot. And then... Um, you know, just roving around the city, being on different trucks, uh, getting TRT and, you know, doing different things. I think that that all kind of helped towards the end for the for for working on different trucks and managing different people and and, and different but calls and, and, and different call. That was the big one, because, you know, we can do on scene reports for fires all day. The medical ones will fuck you up. The, the, those Push your BLS guy and the, the special ops ones. Oh, yeah. You know, sure. you go on. I mean, you go on a palm tree rescue or uh, a, a trench rescue, leak, yeah. nat- natural gas leak. It's in volume two, kind of the, the, how, the framework of how to run it. Yeah. But until you do it a few times in real life and know, like, what resources you have and how to use those resources appropriately then you're just kind of saying a few words and then you're just kind of standing there looking like, well, now what do we do? <laughs> right, no. I, yeah, I was well. there. I think my first first uh, scene I, I ever took command of was a natural gas leak. And I didn't take command right away because I wanted to get down the alley and take a look at it. But my mistake, I probably should have taken command right away. 
and then gone from there because you're like because all the because the chief behind you know, like like everybody else wants to know that someone is taking command and like then you can say we're investigating yeah they see right trucks there yeah they see someone there but they're not hearing anything yeah like, so they're wondering what they going start to on. worry right like well yeah so you, uh, our 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 calls go and this is Bruno's old saying uh, the uh, the uh, call, the first five minute of call will dictate how the next five hours go, True. and if you set it up really well on the front end, you communicate fairly reasonably up front, and it's and it's it's well organized. Next five hours will be fantastic, and when we don't, and that's we, why we have a problem. So important, yep, you know, because 100%. again, that 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 sets you up back there. And like for me, like you said, that you bounced around from thing to thing to thing. Mm-hmm. When I took it, I just focused on the written. And then I knew I was going to have a couple, two or three weeks for um, the tactics and the interview to come up. So then I focused on that. But then like you, I had good mentors and like Steve Passimio was 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 the senior firefighter that's moved up for our captain all the time. Really good tactic. Like he's, we used to school our captain on stuff when like he was trying to get ready for the chief. So I was like, nah, I don't think you want to run it that well, way. I still like, come across a mega metals fire every once in a while. Yeah. And he did an outstanding job on that. Awesome. Like, like, like Steve's really, really good. So... I had him at my disposal. So what I did for, for the for the tactics portion of it was we would just do it when we were working out. I'd do a set. We'd go through a fire problem. So I was high heart rate, tax, and, and then I had to be able to think through it. What did you guys do to practice? I mean, we brought you guys down here for a couple mock tactics, and I, but what else did you guys do? Uh, well, like I, I said, um, kind of – I try to keep my circle small you know what i mean there's just such an overload of information that's that, a key point that is big floating around and uh so like i said don't my, go to 50 fucking people looking for tactics right. it's like right. getting hired you you go to so many stations right. so many people they're gonna they're gonna water your brain down to yeah you know and and so uh chris and jordan myself we would you know early on in the process i think we would we would meet at station three we start at six o'clock in the morning basically from six to seven jordan and i were both on a shift so we would basically show up early uh, we would, Chris was getting off shifts. So we would work for an hour. Uh, I would go to 18 and, you know, um, and at the beginning, I think we would get together once a month and then just, you know, progressively got, got more and more frequent as we got closer to the test, but it was just our opportunity to, to just the three of us, um, just kind of bring back information that, that we had gotten along the way. Like, Hey, you know, so-and-so was saying this, what do you guys think? And like, Hey, let's scrap that. That's not consistent with anything that we've heard yet. You know, like you just have like people you trust, um, that you can bounce stuff off of. You don't feel obligated to be an all-star, you know, yeah, tell, tell you can actually all, look stupid in front of them and yeah, not give a shit. Right? And, yeah. And, and I think real, cause that's important, yeah. you know, and, and guys think that, uh, they need to be, perfect perfect before they even sit down in a study group with other people and i'm like no that's that's like that is why you have a study group like you need to be able to vomit on that table a couple times and like have the guys laugh at you because you know that their turn is in the hot seat next you were on a and you're gonna laugh you're gonna laugh (laughs) yeah (laughs) so so some of that might be coming from there yeah so like we just that that worked out well for us um we took advantage of opportunities as they come up you know i was definitely not somebody who was gonna um cold call anybody and let them know that I was taking the captain's test and I wanted to to get to know them better but I took advantage of, of relationships that I had had I think relationships are super important those are things that you build you know obviously from the time you, you start on the job and and uh, your work ethic and your reputation open those doors for you and if those doors are open I was going to walk through them but I wasn't going to try to create doors that didn't exist so um yeah I've I've never big a, been a big fan of that philosophy like oh you're taking the captain's test you need to go and network I'm like bullshit you don't have a network already of people that you can go to and talk to and like 
you're fucking you're way behind the way eight ball. behind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you gotta you gotta be able to manage what you want to learn, uh, because you have so much stuff, so many things on your plate, right? In order to be able to do this, and when you go just cold call somebody, you have unless you have something specific you want to ask them, hey, I'm interested in this, or can you help me understand this? Right. And and, and oftentimes we don't. We go in and just, hey, I'm going to take the captain's test. What words of advice do you have? And how, uh, how often have you had that fucking that that meeting? Uh, it's got to be over well, 100. I get I get plenty of <laughs> phone calls, texts, emails about it. And then my my now my standard response is I want to know what you need to know exactly. What question do yeah, you have? What can I help you specifically? Yeah, and because I, I dude, I'll help you all over the place, but I to get Chris Stewart's theory on anything is probably a waste of time for a lot of people. But I can help you a- answer some specific Most days, questions. But- Sometimes you have some valid shit. Well, no, yeah, <laughs> something I I'll did. I'll make something up. <laughs> you know, again, through, you know, using relationships and stuff, like you um, had opened up an opportunity for me to come sit and talk to you when you were still at Homeland, I believe it was. Oh, and, okay. Um, you forgot that too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> no, so I, impactful. it came back to my memory. <laughs> I did recall that. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, and I actually didn't say anything about the cabs test. Because I, I, I believe that, again, like I'm not there to to ask you like about the captain's test. I, I came to you and I said, this is kind of some, some theories that I have as far as leadership and, you know, nothing tactical, but, but this is kind of where I'm at as far as what, what I believe in leadership and, and am I even consistent with what you expect as a chief? And, and that's kind of a lot of the conversations that, that I had early on was this is where, this is what I believe in. Do you think that this, that, that, I just wanted to make sure Gabe not. Sines hadn't screwed you. <laughs> that's re- that's all I wanted to make sure, Ryan, uh, that, that he wasn't too big of an influence on you. Come on, you, I got, I got, I, I, <laughs> since he kid, I got, I have to tell this Gabe Sines story, and, and Gabe, we all have you, them. You'll appreciate. It. But uh, um, as a, when I first started moving up on Engine 18, we had a, a gas station payphone call for you know hot feet or you know some crazy emergency like that and so i jumped off the truck we had a probationary firefighter uh got off the truck started grabbing i said well stand hold on on that for a second let me me just figure out what's what's going on and out of the corner of my eye i see gabe and he's kind of over my shoulder and he's like mumbling stuff and i'm like what the heck is he doing i'm trying to ignore him because I know it's not going to be good as soon as I turn around. Like, I, I have a hard time holding my composure in front of because he's just so funny. And so um, I look over, and he's got a headset on, headset from the truck that he had, you know, unplugged, and he was holding the cord with his radio in his hand, so it looked like the headset was plugged in to the radio. And he's, like, touching the side, like, he, like he's mic'd up uh-huh. on some he's special operations. He's talking to somebody important. Community, you know, and, he, uh-huh. and he's like, I was like, what do you got? And he's like, well, I just need to know if we're going to land this helicopter or not. <laughs> 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 and I was like, I think we're going to be good. And, and he's like, stand down the chopper. Stand down the chopper. I repeat. And this lady who's, like, calls for foot pain, she's looking at him like, oh, you guys <laughs> so, You got out crazy the crazy sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, How did you practice your your like the tactic side? So me and Danny, we uh, we would send each other like pictures, okay. you know. Ioli, and, you're yeah, Ioli, yeah. and uh, we basically had a, an agreement like, hey, you have five minutes to respond with, you know, you're on senior report, your size up, that sort of thing. You kind of run down because, you know, in in real life, you don't get two hours to look at a picture of a building and then kind of 
break down the entire building and figure out exactly what you want to do in a perfect scenario. You have a couple of, you know, you have that four minute window from when you get the call to you're responding and you see things and you're, you're kind of building your process. That's exactly the reason the tactical test changed and that what it is now. And that's how it should be that you shouldn't be given a, a bunch of pictures and wait 20 minutes to figure things out, you know? And so we went from still pictures to actual videos. Cause there's some uh, fire departments that actually their guys wear GoPros on fires, like Stockton fire does a really good job of it. And ton of, cut, a ton of material out there, tons of it. And so you can go through those on YouTube and, you know, kind of put yourself in that driver's or in that, that captain's seat and run through the whole problem, you know, and kind of, cause they kind of run their system very similar to ours. So, you know, you can kind of run through what you're on scene reports going to be, where you're going to put your trucks and, you know, whatnot. And so we were starting to do that more real life stuff. And then just out, I mean, honestly, out acting, I got a lot of experience uh, in the front right seat, just out acting. You know, we, I was really lucky and had a lot of really big fires that, that we uh, were first in on. And that's kind of the fun part of being out acting um, is you, you kind of get thrown into the fire, so to speak. Right. I mean, there was a, a handful of times where like we were, at, I was at 39 and the whole truck was rovers, everybody. And even my, my engineer was a move up. And so it was hotter than hell that day. And it was super windy that day. And I, I remember we talked about it in the morning. We're, we're going to get a junkyard fire today. It's going to happen. It's hot. It's too hot and it's too windy for something to not. And sure, I mean, at three o'clock in the afternoon, we had a transmission shop fire that was essentially a junkyard with a transmission shop in front of it. Oh, yeah. Beautiful and West Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Yep, right there. And we had a victim and three dead plugs on that fire. Jeez. And so it was just a mess. <laughs> and the, the chain link fence was, was uh, electrified because the power lines in the back had fallen down on them. And it, it was just a giant cha- train wreck yeah, that, that kind of happened. But going forward, that was, as a move up, that was huge. You know, that's something that, I mean, you could watch 100 YouTube videos and never have to go through that process. When as a move-up guy, I don't know, Chris, you can speak to the chief side of it, but I think people give you a little more slack. Yeah, I, it, it's, um, well, I see it kind of two ways. As I see... Especially a move-up guy a move up guy is Well, a move-up yeah. guy uh, is not an excuse to suck right. being a move-up guy. But it, you also, you all, I, I will give them the opportunity to learn. And failure or mistakes or challenges is 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 one of the most important uh, parts of learning. And and it's how to figure out to allow a guy to make a mistake and not make not allow it to be a fatal mistake, not allow it to be a mistake that they walk around, you know, uh, just like as a boat anchor around their neck. It's no help them. Uh, yeah, acknowledge the mistake and how do you fix it? How do you make it better? How do you not do it next time? I think, and on top of that, I think there's a lot more. If a guy comes out in the top ten, there's there's a little bit of scrutiny that goes along with that versus a guy that's a little far back. Uh, but I got to be honest with you, I don't. When an acting guy, I have no clue where they are on the list. I don't oh, know if yeah. they're maybe they're. I peers. don't know if they're one away. The yeah, yeah, probably peers. Yeah, but yeah, me, peers. I don't even. I couldn't tell you. Uh, who, who's next on the list? I have no clue. And I think a lot of times the peers, they're some of the hardest people to manage sometimes, especially oh, around the yeah. process. Yeah. And after the process. <laughs> especially if they're your friends, they don't turn out so well. Yeah. Yes. That, 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 that can, can be, be interesting. Right? The, the brand new guys yeah. and the, the older generation, you know, that are on, they, they seem to help you be successful where mm-hmm. your peers can, 
Oh yeah, they can throw some wrenches at you for sure. They sure can, and it, you know, you get your first time you move up, and you get to go. Oh hey, Captain, what were we doing today, Captain? You know, it's like, come on, man, like I'm just the same guy that I was last year. I'm just sitting in a different seat. (laughs) Yeah. How how beneficial was it when we did all the mock stuff down here, where we like had three people, you know, the interview stuff was huge because I mean I'm absolutely terrible at doing the interview stuff and you know talking about my myself and what whatever you know those sorts of things but um yeah doing the mocks in front of people is it's huge i mean you can do it in front of yourself or record yourself mm-hmm. and you know you're always going to think you sound like an idiot and you know look like an idiot and whatever yeah well you look like one always always i mean i've gotten comfortable with being an idiot <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know like having and getting feedback from people who have been through the process and been successful in the process you know and and know people in the process um, that's that's a huge benefit rather than I think just sitting with your peers who are taking the test because they may not know exactly how, what to tell you you know constructive feedback. Well, some of the guys I talked to too, like like the fact that you had to sit in the lobby. Yeah. You went through to come back. Like they's like, dude, that's helped me so much because mm-hmm. it, it it's, it's simil- an environment yeah, thing, right? And your peers yes. are out there waiting with you, even though it's at the reef builders offices like you all those emotions get there and and even buddies because all you guys knew each other is like 12 or 15 yeah. you guys I'm sweating yeah you know, well and like, you're, <laughs> well, well and they're sizing each other up yeah. because even yeah. amongst still a competition peers, we're yeah. buddies but it was still competition <laughs> yeah. so they said that stuff was kind of real well world that too. and like the process for getting hired i didn't know any of the guys on my board when i got hired but when i took the captain's test i knew everybody right. on that oh board. yeah oh you yeah know what i mean so it's a that's even different. Your reputation precedes you going in there for sure. Yeah, and, there's and so much. Yeah, there's so much more to it. You know, as far as getting hired, like you said, there's a connection to it. You you feel that the only reason why you're in the position that you are of doing mock interviews in front of the people that you're doing them is because somebody, you know, uh, extended an invitation to you or somebody uh, showed trust in you that that uh, that they were willing to help you. You know what I mean? So you, I one of the biggest reasons I wanted to do well because I didn't want to let down my mentors you know the guys who had invested so much in me you know and then then when i got the results and i came out number 12 was like all right now it's time to be number 12 like it's not you know like it's not just lip service anymore i agree with that statement because because i because i'm always paranoid of of letting anybody down that helped me like for me to look stupid i don't give a shit but but if like chris or you guys ever like invest time me i'm like i like for me it's like i don't want to fucking do what you guys did wasn't a waste. Like I showed up and I performed that day with your guys' help because that's always a fucking bun. Just like losing for a fucking good coach. Everyone yeah, for a good no, coach. absolutely. So same exact way. All right. So we got the written. We talked about the written. We talked about preparation for the tactic for tactics and, and strategy. And then I guess we're on to the fucking interview stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, my interviews are terrible, so again, they're not terrible. They're they're, they're they're pretty bad. They're much better than 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 they were. So what we did was we whoever we were helping twelve fifteen I don't fucking know twenty people. We had everybody. I created a Dropbox folder for everybody to upload sample interview questions to, so we could critique them, and then we would listen to them. Uh, we'd give feedback, and then that's how it, it was an efficient way for me to be able to do it because I could listen to twelve or fifteen of you guys whenever I needed to versus, Hey, let's schedule a time to come down and listen to you. And then we did the mocks there. So how did you, like I tell people, and this is just my spiel on how to get ready for an interview. I'm like, you have to sit down and take inventory of who in the fuck you are. 
Because if you don't know who you are, you really don't know how you're going to be able to speak about yourself in a way that people want to hear. Because you're interviewing for the position of company officer. So your interview has to be um, a position in, in such a way that you're presenting or selling yourself to a board, right? And like, how do you do that? First of all, you have to know yourself. Second of all, you have to tell a fucking compelling story. Because anything that's ever told in a, in a story format will sell, whether it be a product like or a person. So how do you tell a compelling, interesting story? You have to know yourself. And that's kind of what I tell you guys. Right. And that's where, so like my first time doing an interview, which I didn't, you know, we, I yeah, did we didn't it by together, myself right? on yeah. the first one. And, you know, I didn't have a, I had a pretty charmed life growing up. I didn't, you know, I, I never did the military. I, and no one wants to hear about two guys, you know, in spandex. I mean, that's yeah. just, you know, very <laughs> well, few do. people want I to do. hear about yeah, that. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear more. <laughs> you know, yeah. Off, 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 offline probably. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, uh, for the second one, I, I had a lot more to talk about, I think, because, you know, kind of going through the first process and then um, I had some, you know, medical issues from the first and the second mm-hmm. that kind of... Yeah, just a little medical issue. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> Tell well, them what the fuck it was. Yeah, just not. Nah. So the first one was uh, ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune disease where, you know, you, it's just real gross. Um, but so I had that for Google it if you want to learn more about it. Yeah, <laughs> don't click on images. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I I dealt with that for a year of kind of going in and out of remission, and so and managing being a move up out of class, you know all that stuff out of roving around, which would upset your gut anyway. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, on top of this, and you know I was trying to get in and out of remission. So I was in and out of the bathroom 20, 30 times a day. Fuck. And so guys were wondering, you know, where is our, where is he? And Mike I, you have know. a cocaine problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd lost 30 pounds. Yeah, I'm looking real you know? skinny right now. So I, I, I looked sick and I, I was sick, you know, but, uh, and then, so got that done and figured out and all ironed out. And then uh, the second test, I had a stroke and then heart surgery from, because he had a hole in his heart. I always knew he had a hole in his heart, but he actually had a hole in his heart. A legit one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We thought it was just a, a yeah. you know. Just, just for people. Yeah. <laughs> not Black a void hole. space, but an actual <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not like the Grinch, but just, yeah, yeah. but a real one. So, so then dealing with that. And so I had some actual pretty significant life experience that kind of hit me all at once within a couple of years that kind of helped me talk about that stuff and kind of prepare my family. And, you know, because that was the big part about the the test with all that stuff was how my wife and kids kind of managed all of that. Cause they were of an age that they understood what was going on. I For mean, sure. they, they, they knew exactly what, what it was and what was happening. And so it was good to kind of, ha- it was really good to have it happen uh, for the fact that it worked out really good for me uh, in the fact that I didn't die, but the that, fact that's always a bonus. That, that was a, <laughs> that was a big plus. Uh, but then it, it kind of, it made me a lot stronger uh, in in other ways, you know. So, and it, it helped my interview stuff because I had a lot more deeper things to talk about than just, you know, my. So, are you life. recommending some serious medical issues <laughs> to the candidates? If, if, yeah. if you can stay on this side of the dirt, it probably isn't a bad idea. <laughs> right, yeah. But <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean that. I think that helped a lot. You know what I mean? With when you took the interview before. Um, did you have more of a plan? Like, did you have more of a plan this time? Did you have I had, a methodical well, way to go through it? Going through, like, what you guys helped us with, um, I had a lot more of a plan than 
basically, I, I mean, I, I think I still have the notebook somewhere. I just basically wrote down, you know, what the interview questions were in the past and what I thought they were going to be this time. And then kind of what I was going to say. And that just kind of went in there and, and just more, more like it. bulletized. Yeah. Or, okay. That way. Versus well, and you have a little bit of soap of a soapbox, right? No, Kinda. I, 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 I uh, my experience with folks who have taken it previously and then they come back in and, and do a really good job. It's, they've done a fairly good job of figuring out really now what's important. Yeah. Before it was a little bit of a guess. It was a little bit of, I'm not certain I'm trying to figure it out. And once you come back and you've, you've had the opportunity to act or, or work out of class and, and do all that stuff. And you come back in way more, a lot of times the candidates come back in way more squared away of, Oh no, no, no. I, I know exactly what I'm here to talk about. Well, in the about. first one, I talked about how I was going to be as a captain, right? I was talking kind of that pretense yeah. where the second one I was talking, this is what I do now as a captain. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, I'd have been a captain now for five years, basically yeah. I'd, in a move up position. So I had a lot more experience to basically talk of, you know, in that position. Yeah, there's a know. huge difference to saying this is what I do now versus this is what I will do. Yeah, or yeah. what I think I'll do. Yeah. Right. Because you're untested, right? So they don't know, well, who knows? Maybe you will, maybe you won't, maybe she will, maybe she won't. And I had a lot of uh, experience from those five years to talk about and throw into that. It's half even a though, fucking decade, bro. Even though I, <laughs> it's a third of my career right now <laughs> that I spent <laughs> pretending to be a captain. You better be fucking good now. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I still fucked it up. <laughs> So, <laughs> how was yours? Because the last time we sat with you, you were a little flustered at at the end of it. You rebounded. I was, yeah, and great. And and again, because uh, I think it was just something completely uncomfortable to me. And you know, I think I, I struggled with um, my ability to articulate what I wanted to say in in a, a balance with at the time what I thought. I w- what the, the board wanted to hear. And once I kind of got over that hump of like, I, I'm not going to worry about what the board wants to hear. Like I have some pretty strong convictions on what I feel is a good leader. And, you know, I was 28 and married with a kid when I got hired. I, I you know, I did, I had done a little bit of a lot of different things, I, you know, before. And so kind of how I grew up, just like you said, all the things that made me who I am, like I, you know, I was pretty confident that, that, I, that those things were going to help me to be successful, but I didn't know if how I was articulating them um, was going to help me or hurt me. You always have to take so, the Shawshank Redemption approach. Like, I don't give a fuck what you think. I'm going to put it out there. Right, and I think once I got to that point, it, it was a lot better. And I think when you know we sat next door and I was fumbling, and I'm like, well, I know what I want to talk about safety, but I just it, like, it just doesn't sound good. And I got some help, you know, some tips and... Um, you know, on just how to how to say things um, that were still true to me, and again, so I, I started the whole interview process with just an open word document, and it was just like a brainstorming list. And so, anytime um, I had a conversation with somebody, or any time that I th- um, was thinking about military career or things from the military that I um, benefited from things from my childhood, whatever, whatever it was, I would just write it down in this word document. And I just had this running word document of every time I'm like, that thing is important to me and I need to talk about it. And then it wasn't until later on. um, So I got a little bit more comfortable talking about those topics. And I think once I started trying to, to 
formulate them into like a, an interview question answer with a five to six minute time frame on it. That <laughs> I think that's what was hard for me. Yeah, like, it is. I know what I want to say. I don't know how to say it. You know, yeah, and, and so well. there was, I mean, getting out of your comfort zone and doing mock interviews and sitting in front of people that you are, um, that you respect and you know that have put trust in you and, um, you know, just, just want to see you do well. I think that that is, it's a, it's a confidence booster and, um, you know, so anyway, yeah, but, but getting out of your comfort zone, I think is super, super impactful for, for an interview. Yeah, because you're because you guys are on two sides of the fence. You didn't get to you know work out of class, you know, blessing and a curse, and then you got to do that on the other side of it. So your interview compared to Mike's is going to be it, completely different. Totally different, and and I think that um, I tried to 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 speak about the like the the interview topics in in a way that didn't necessarily I wasn't trying to walk you through the day in the life of a move up captain on engine 18. You know what I mean? I I touched on spoke as a captain, period. No right. What truck just, you're just, on. Yeah, speak as a captain um because I was doing the work. I I hadn't been doing it for as long as a lot of other people. Nobody knows um, that. Right. But I <laughs> but I was doing the work and um I I feel that kind of as we talk about uh, recruit interviews, um the tactical just different things, we always want to hear that that there, we always hear that you need to speak at a strategic level. That's that's how you're going to articulate that you truly understand how to be a company officer that the, that the Phoenix Fire Department can trust and um, support and empower to do, to make good decisions. Um, sorry, I just got a little bit mixed up on one. You're I'm doing good. We'll just, yeah. Um, a little bit like your interview. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess, it's like, like I said, it was just, it was just, a, it was more about concepts than it was. This is what I do when I show up. Right. Because honestly, even you, though we, even though, even that. though we know it's different, you, we're supposed to. There's this illusion that that all the candidates are coming in there with. They don't know what they're going to be asked, or they're yeah, not right. certain what <laughs> what actually the the material is going to be. So mm-hmm. you've got this huge uh, pool of stuff you could be you could be questioned about, and you're, then you're supposed to you know go through this volume of information that you've crammed in your head and experience and all this and spit out an answer. And unfortunately, for a time period in our career, we we built and we programmed people to come in and just regurgitate something that they re- had rehearsed or or prepare a monologue, essentially five separate monologues or four separate monologues, depending on, you know, what they're going to ask. And and it's complete nonsense. And, well, honestly, it's just bullshit. So um, tell us how you really feel. What, what, what I think, but what you guys, two guys are talking about is you were you got past that. No, 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 I'm not here to memorize anything I'm going to talk about. I'm comfortable with what I know, number one, about me, and number two about the job, because the one thing uh, the one thing I think we missed, you know, when Brandon was talking, he talks about, or he was talking about, you know, being comfortable with yourself and becoming comfortable telling a story. The second half of that is is you have to know what the job is. You yeah, have, have to know what the work right. is. Yeah. And so when you do, and when when those things combine together nicely, you end up coming. It doesn't matter what 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 a what a interviewer is going to ask you or a, a board's going to ask you is you're comfortable with, hey, I can figure out, I know what the priorities are, I can figure shit out, I don't care what you're going to yeah, ask me. Ask me whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, fire map me. Yeah. 
And so, so I can vividly recall on the first time I sat on any captain's interviews, um, uh, had a candidate who had prepared, you know, the monologue, right. For all the, the questions. And, and, and I think we were in the second week of the test and all that. And, and, uh, and I still remember, I think this is the only time we did this is we actually stopped the interview and said, listen, uh, I specifically said, listen, you are going to have to say something spontaneously to me <laughs> or, or you're going to, you are really not going to like the outcome I of this interview. I am not a robot. Yeah. Everything, I mean, you even had your pauses and your facial expressions rehearsed. <laughs> I, we can't, I ain't, I ain't going for that. A shifter? As a matter of fact. Oh, imagine that. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> Um, but so I'm like, listen, we're halfway through this. Oh, you've got you've me. got two and a half questions or two and a half answers left to try and write this. Uh, you're not telling us, you know, he's not giving us horrible things. But there there wasn't anything genuine. And there wasn't anything believable. There wasn't anything. It was it was nonsense. So uh, I'm like, all right, dude, you have a chance. We're gonna we're gonna start this. Take a second. We're gonna re we're gonna get this thing get back going. Um, Good, good. Let me know. Give me a thumbs up. He goes, okay. And then goes right back into his Without monologue. skipping a beat. Yeah, without, <laughs> goes right back into the monologue. I mean, like, he knew exactly where he stopped and what the next word was that he needed to say. That's Shit. how some of the podcasts Chris do, right? And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like this uh, so rehearsed. And actually, his stuff was... Uh, Surprisingly, his performance that day showed in where he was on the list. Well, right? I mean, you guys want to see something authentic, not bullshit, because if... If a candidate's going to bullshit you in that room, they're going to bullshit you out on the street, right? Well, and more, more importantly than bullshit me, they're going to try and bullshit the customer that they're standing in front of, and maybe something actually serious is going on. Gotcha. Or they're not able to measure truly what's happening, or they don't have a, a clue in how to make this call successful, or how to support the firefighters, or how to, uh, no, we need to go this direction when, when everybody's kind of headed in this other direction. Right. And so it's, it's about the work. And if you're, and if you, there ain't no monologues on a real call. And, uh, and just like there's no politics in a real call, quit playing, quit worrying about that shit, get down to the brass tacks of who you are, what the fire department expects from you and what the work looks like. I, I think talking about expectations is huge. And I think that we need to know, you know, as a company officer, you need to know what, the expectations are from you, from your subordinates, from your bosses, from the organization. Like, what does the Phoenix Fire Department need from me as a company officer? And if you're not talking about those kind of things on your interview, um, you know, then I think you're probably. That, I think that's how you get to that strategic level. Where do um, we? So typically, in a in a in a pure sense, where should we be getting those expectations? From from the highest level. Well, conversations, I mean, just, just the, the passing of communication, which needs to go up and down. Right. Throughout so there's the formal expectations in behavior, in, in performance. There's all that. And then there's the informal, right, of us working together or working in stations or in a battalion or in a station, in a battalion, in a company. You know, you all have uh, similar expectations. They're in line with the organizations, but this is what we want, and it's, and it's real when it's between you and I. I don't want to screw up because I don't want to let Ryan down. I don't want to let Mike down. That's, that's, that's actually the definition of self-discipline. And so 
There's these formal expectations that the organization lays out for our behavior and our performance, and then there's the informal, no, this is the way we run things on this company or in this firehouse or in this battalion. And, uh, um, and the combination of the two, what I know you guys did well in yours is actually took all of that, your personal beliefs uh, were in line with the organizational beliefs, and then you were able to communicate it really, really clearly. So, yeah, I think, you know, the identifying expectations, I think, is, is huge going into the process. And then I think also the understanding that there's a difference between preparing for the, the job and preparing for the process. You Absolutely. know, those are and, and uh, if uh, to me, I, f I feel like if, if you are you need to focus on preparing for the job and then the, the process will fall into place. I agree. With that. And, the, yeah. and it's the f it's the organization's job to make sure that the test is reflective of the work, of the position and, and the job that you have to do. And when we when we screw that up and we don't, then all it does is cause pain and misery for the candidate. Well, and, and when I say that- the get, other way around, that's when it gets fucked I guess just, Absolutely. so to me, just to, just to clarify, I, I don't think that there's two different, I don't think that there's unrealistic things that are happening in the testing process. You bet, that, yeah, that no, no, I got it, yeah. Uh, I guess, but what I'm saying is, I think that if you are focusing on the process, how am I gonna do well in this process? How am I going to ace this written? How am I gonna, you know, hit all my benchmarks on the tactical and inter I wanna, it's all about points. I wanna get the most points possible. And I think that's where you get the memorization, you know, because oh, yeah, yeah. people are saying the right things, but uh, it's it, it's how you say it. And whether we're talking about a recruit interview, you know, a captain's interview, um, we're all going to be talking about the same things. We can be talking about, you know, you hear the term, you know, servant leadership. Okay, Mike and I can both talk about servant leadership in our interviews, but the way that we talk about it and why that's important to him versus I and the life experiences that we have that have gotten us to that point, like that's where you, that's what's going to make or break you in the, in the interview. Well, well, that's why I say, I, like, I don't give a shit. You could give 100 people the same exact question with the same exact benchmarks, and the best leaders or the ones that are the most prepared that have the best experiences, they're going to be the ones with the highest results every single fucking time. No as long as long as they practice and they could communicate it. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. you can't because everyone's experiences are so different. Like this kind of leads to another point. Like, well, when should I take the test? Should I take it? You know, as soon as I can. Should I wait ten years? Stuff like that. Everybody's different. Everybody's ready at a different point because of their experiences and what they've done. Like you took it as soon as you were eligible. Mm -hmm. Ryan did, but Ryan also spent four years in the military. Mm -hmm. Did some other shit. Had some other life experience. So yeah. So his is different versus. Versus a, versus a kid that got hired at 19 and is now wants to take the test at 25 and a half years old, you really don't have. What's a wrong lot. with that? Yeah, well, some <laughs> of, there are exceptions, Stu. But, but, but uh, well, I think experience. But look is at who your mentors were, yeah. Bruno. Yeah. This, that, you're like, like you were, you were lucky enough to fall into a group of guys that that fucking you know a 15 year guy wouldn't you know wouldn't have that experience on. So like everybody's different. Everybody's ready at a different time, and don't let those let those years because because people ask that all the time like well some people tell me i should wait no fuck no don't, don't let somebody else decide right. Exactly. right yeah don't don't take the test because you you feel obligated to and and don't wait because you feel like you don't have enough time i mean it, it's crazy to say but i was a made captain with less than nine years on the job and i know that that's not that's not necessarily common but i you know i feel confident that um in the time since I've been promoted that I've been able to solidify the fact that I can do the job and, and if I can do it, everybody else can too, you know? 
Um, so if you're ready to take the test and you're willing to put in the work and, and do the right things, then, then there's no reason why you shouldn't. Because again, like I, I don't think that experience in the backseat translates directly to experience in the front seat. And, no. you know, guys say, well, you know, how do you even have enough fire if you have less than 10 years on the job? I'm like, well, uh, if you have 10 years on the job versus 15 years on the job, how, how many more fires have you actually had? And in, of those fires, you were in the back seat, so focused on task level things, not task and, I mean, uh, not tactical and strategic level things. So it's just so different. But even yeah. a young guy, that's all he, even that 19 year old kid that's, that's only had this as his job, how else is he going to get experience to be a captain? You got to take the fucking test. Absolutely. Even if you finish out 98 or 101. And you're on the list to be able to go and act. That's how that kid is going to get that experience. So totally, don't, yeah. Don't let anybody say, "No, you're too young to take it." Bullshit. You'll figure it and out. And that's why I say, like, I, I knew that I wanted to take the first test test that I was eligible for because the guys that I look up to as as captains, whether they're still on the job or whether they're retired, they, they were really good captains, and they were they they've been captains for a long time. Mm-hmm. So if I want to be a really good captain. I know that it's going to take me some time to get there. I'm going to make my mistakes. I'm going to learn, you know, and I'm kind of going through that process right now. Um, just trying to figure out how to get better, you know, and, and, uh, and cause that's the goal that I want. Like if I want to be a good captain, I need to be a captain for a long time. Yeah. So I'm going to start a reps early. thing, right? That's why going, you know, becoming a captain and then becoming a chief two years later probably doesn't make the best battalion chief because you haven't spent the time in the seat as a captain to, to understand and know that job. Oh, yeah, and you haven't got to experience some of the actual pain and misery that actually <laughs> makes the development, it accelerates the development, right? It's right. it's one thing when everything's gone well and, it, and it's all happy, you know, happy horse shit. Uh, but then you need some trials and tribulations as a company officer. You need some knuckleheads. You need some, uh, you know, uh, 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 some rough outcomes, and that that is what will make you will make all of us and to build good that street cred. Totally, I mean, yeah. The street oh, yeah. cred goes a long way on this job, Absolutely. you know. That especially as you start climbing those ranks, I mean, guys are more willing to listen to uh, a captain or battalion chief who has the street cred of being a good fireman and, and working at busy stations and. You know, at least to me, anyways. You know, well, so. most guys are. Oh yeah, I think that's uncommon. So you've been a captain for how long now? Just over a year. August fifth, two thousand nineteen, was my promotion date. And Mike has been out of class acting as captain for five <laughs> years, but technically, you've only been a captain for how long? Um, whatever July twenty seventh to now is. Almost a couple month. of weeks. Like almost a month. Five years. Yeah. But you know, one thing. I, do, you uh, feel, do you see a difference now? That there's captain on your shirt. No, not at all. No, I, I don't. I, I think, you know, once I started moving, I, when I became the move up for, and I, I was literally acting every shift. It wasn't like I would go back to my spot or, or anything like that. So I think it, it well, kind of gave be, your spot up too, right? Eventually. Yeah. yeah. I, I went back for a month when I, when I came back from my stroke, I went, I went back to my spot for a month just to kind of get my bearings again mm-hmm. and then went back out. But I think most most guys kind of got used to seeing me in that position that it just kind of became that, yeah. you know? Uh, so it was just, I don't know. It was, I saw myself as a captain, even though I wasn't necessarily. Yeah. Like your the, mindset was the there. Knighted. That's perfect. I wasn't knighted. You See, know, I didn't but. fuck him up too bad. <laughs> just for that short period of time we were together. Oh, it's so funny. When I first got to rescue 11, oh, shit. that's a funny story too. Well, <laughs> there, there, there was a firefighter there that Mike's so fucking nice who would always ask Mike to go get him a thirst buster. So I get there, and I'm like, this motherfucker, every shift? I'm like, no, I got this. So he would ask, hey, 
Um, a guy on one of the other trucks is asking the rescue to go get busters. Yeah, just for him too. Just one <laughs> fucking buster. So, so I go, I know, I go, fuck no, we're not doing this anymore. I got this. So every time we'd go out and come back, he'd be like, "Hey, you my bush one? Oh, fuck, bro, I'm sorry, we forgot. We'll get on the next one." So we, just, I just kept doing that over and over and over and over and over and over until he 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 finally just fucking gave up. But I remember Mike, you were doing it for a couple, two or three weeks before I showed up. Yeah, yeah, I just, <laughs> I could. Too nice to say no, I guess. I and then know. that same asshole at eleven, there, there's, there's a door between the rescue dorm and the oh, bay to yes. get out. Well, during nap time or whatever, he'd always come blown through that door. So, <laughs> like Mike and I had a joke, like we'd yell down in front anytime fucking someone would do it as a fucking joke. So finally, we got fed up. So I'm like, fuck it, we're locking that door, bro. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Lock that door. That same dumbass gave us a fur fire too. Came fronting into that door, fucking smashed that door, dislocated his shoulder, ended up being off for a couple of weeks. I'm like, that guy, that guy didn't last that it station. Served very long. every second of that. <laughs> did did he even last a year? No. Yeah, I told dude, no no one liked him. Everyone so. hated him. I'm like, fuck this guy. We're not getting any fucking busters. So yeah. and me being the sarcastic asshole I am, I'm gonna give you whatever I have at all times. <laughs> no. No matter what. So how is it now, official acting, post-test? Like, how is it now out there? It's good. I, I, I mean, I, like I said, I've been doing that position for the last five years, so it nothing's really changed other than the ink is still drying on my shirt. But other than that, it's... Well, now that you're so far removed, it's been a couple years or a year and a half or whatever for, yeah. since the list came out. Like, how, like, how much do you think about the tests anymore? Like, now that they're they're talking about, hey... Well, I still do, like, I still do tactical stuff on my days off. Like, uh, you know, Chris has the, uh, the zoom that you do and Mm -hmm. I join in on that and, you know, I don't talk a whole lot, but I don't talk a whole lot to begin with. Um, but you know, I, I still do stuff like my, my, my brother was taking the captain's test with Chandler and so I was helping him with that. Did he take it? Yeah, he took it. How'd he do? Uh, he came out 10, uh, they were making five. So, um, he, he messed up on one of their, I know we, (laughs) We're, we're slow to learn, you know? Uh, Don't put them on a wrestling mat. We're yeah, twins. Right. Yeah, we share a brain. And uh, so, you know, and I like helping guys, especially with the tactical stuff, because I kind of like geeking out on that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, you know. You're a fire nerd. It's, yeah, I, I, and I'm, I'm a closet fire nerd on B-Shift, you know, yeah. so. Wear it, uh, wear it and be proud. Yeah, and I, I enjoy doing it, you know, and so I still, you know, like this morning, Stockton Fire posted a video of a, a restaurant fire they had last night, and so I was just watching that, and you know, just kind of taking some things from there that were pretty cool to see. You know, they their ladder had a they have their forcible entry stuff. Their uh, Homatro, mm-hmm. they have a battery powered one. So the guys I've took the spreaders those. to the back instead of doing you know the. They're supposed to be half the weight too. Yeah, they're it's a great tool. You know, so they took those to the back end. So when the engine guys are sitting there beating the shit out of the out of the door, this guy walks up the, on the ladder with these spreaders and pops it in there, and it was over. And you know. Less work, and so well, you're a lifelong student, right? I'd, I'd like yeah. to be, you know. I mean, I, I don't think you can learn too much for a job that can kill you, you know. So well said. Um, so I like doing that stuff, and you know that's why I, I appreciated the tactical part of the test because it was a, it was the dialogue, you know, back and forth of that. You tell me what you're going to do, but why are you going to do that? You know, I think that's a big thing is to understand not not just understand the process and you know how you're doing it and all that, but why are you doing, you know, why are you pulling the inch and three quarter instead of the two inch? You know, is it a GPM thing? Is it a mobility thing? Is it because of your back seat? Like what, what's the reason behind it? You closest, know? closest hose to the door for me. All, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so 
thinking, going through those processes, you know, I mean, my brain only thinks, it, it only moves in certain ways. And the fire tactical stuff, it seems to like to think a lot more than just interview stuff. So, but, yeah. Uh, I think it's been, it's been a great opportunity since I've been made or even before I got made. I roved a little bit on a shift and, and that was a good experience. I didn't meet any um, adversity or conflict or anything when I was roving and I uh, was able to take engine 27 on C shift in February. And, and so we got a brand new engineer, came out young on the job, five years and came out number three on the engineer's list and he's driving. And so he's young, I'm young. We've got a, a solid backseat, two guys that I went through the academy with. So I uh, have a lot of confidence in them and um, we have rescue. And so we kind of, kind of like Mike had just, one of the guys in uh, on our truck is taking the next captain's test. And so just kind of a natural progression to, um, just talk about stuff and uh he's it's like he, he's exactly where i was you know not too long ago and it's so you have some empathy for him yeah least, right? yeah and it, it's it's there. neat to be able and to he's a thinker too oh uh, absolutely. i appreciate that he's, about him he's 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 awesome and uh he's very educated and and knows a lot and it's 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 cool to be able to work with him and just kind of unfold little pieces at a time, you know, like, cause you get overwhelmed with something on, you know, the tactical, they're like, okay, slow, slow down. Hey, what is this building telling you? Like, well, in my size, I want to, I want to talk about this and I want okay, what's the building telling you? Like, we'll just <laughs> stop and look at a building. What is this building telling you? Don't use the word size up. Don't use anything that you think sounds cool. Like, just tell me what this building is telling you. And if this building was on fire, what do you, what do you not know? that you really want to know. And that's going to drive your assignments and, you know, cause your information gathering as a first in company, your information gathering on how to um, solve this problem. So um, just being able to go through that, you know, having a young, having a young crew, having a rescue, being able to still kind of stay in that, that tactical mode. Um, I, I like talking about that stuff um, the leadership and mentorship side of it, which I think a lot of that stuff um, will feed into your interview. I, to, I'm super passionate about that stuff and I'm always willing to, to talk about it and uh so yeah it's been good it's been exciting any no no adversity for you no issues out there on b-shift is great i mean guys are are pretty cool on b-shift i mean we know who the one percenters are so yeah. and not the 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 good part of the, not the top one percent <laughs> yeah. but the bottom one percent <laughs> yeah and so we know you know who they are and so you you know how to kind of manage them and you know whatnot but uh so and then say more working out. working at station one i've you know i got to see a bunch of different um Personalities, personalities, <laughs> and uh, you got balls. a custom with special education. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, well, and Mike was yeah. a special ed teacher. I was, I was <laughs> leading the class, <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, you know, so I got to see a bunch of different ways of managing a lot of pretty big events that kind of happen in the fire service. You know, um, so you know, and, and see how a captain manages it, and to keep a station environment tight. You know, how so. do you guys being, you know, your caps, like, how do you keep that station environment tight, whether it be full time or rover? I, you have to be engaged. I mean, that's the big one, I think, you know, is you you have to kind of build that relationship with your crew, whether you're roving in for the day or or it's your station. You know, the guys, they have to trust you that, you know, you're not going to be the one to go run to the chief with everything that comes on your plate. You know, that that's not what you're supposed to do. Depends on which test we were talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah it depends on who you're asking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. my chief gets uh -huh. pissed because we never answered the station yeah. phone. He, I call my cell phone, man. Yeah, <laughs> you have my number. Yeah, there's still it. station phones. Yeah, right. No one knows how to answer those damn things. Yeah. 
But so, uh, yeah, building that trust and having that, you know, that I think trust comes from probably the best thing, especially whether you have a, a permanent spot or not, is is being competent, competent in your job, and you know, having I think guys, that's number one. Well, right? I got, trust I, your I, let me say it this way: is and I've uh, I've actually relished having a few conversations like this in my career, and, and oftentimes with people who were my bosses. <laughs> if you want to be trusted, behave in a trustworthy manner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's actually a simple concept. My action, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Words and actions. And, and that's what I hear both of you guys talking about is your actions were actually matching everything you've always talked about or what you talked about in the process. Well, for me, if you're not competent, I can't fucking trust you. If you don't know how to do your job and I know more than you about your job, especially when shit goes south, I'm probably going to second guess every fucking thing that's coming out of your mouth. Absolutely. And it's happened to me yeah. before with 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 uh, people that manage me. I'm like, this guy doesn't know his ass from his hand. Yeah. Like, there's no fucking way I'm following that guy. Well, to me, I talk about professionalism. I, I mean, whether it comes up in a recruit interview or a captain's interview, I just, like, I love a professionalism question because it, you can just go so many different ways with it. But um, to me, the competency, consistency, um, you know, these, these are all things that play into being a professional. You got to be physically capable. You got to, um, you know, be confident. You got to be confident. You got to be available. You got to be consistent, you know? So like all of these things and just little ways that I do that is, is I tried to, I, I mean, I made a, a promise to myself from the day I decided that I was going to take the test that I was not going to be a different person, um, than I was in the backseat. So I'm the same person. I have the same attitude. I wear the same uniform or lack of. Uh, (laughs) Well, you are changing. So I'm going to tell you, you're changing in a very, very positive way. Okay. You're you're the same core person. Yeah, your core value. But you're developing. Yeah, okay, there. Yeah, Yeah, you're developing. You have to be a little bit more of an adult. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, But, you know, like I said, being consistent, being available, like I, uh, I don't, like, Available is a big thing, right? Because like I don't, yeah. and this is something like from um, the uh, available. Was, the Captain's I mean, the Academy is almost the same. Um, you know, I think it was in the Captain's Academy. Uh, Chief Christ talked about uh, when he started acting, and I think when and when he got promoted, that he decided that he was not going to take a nap in his room anymore. And because he wanted to be available, That's and I'm completely like completely stupid. Well, so I I, I straddle. <laughs> I hope he was going to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. well, <laughs> and so like take a fucking nap. And that, that was something that that. <laughs> well, yeah, I think like I sit. Me? I sit in the recliner, and that was something that I started doing when I was roving because, um, <laughs> I wanted to be available. Yeah, and you know, especially when I was roving, and maybe roving into a place where. Um, I was unfamiliar with the crew. If somebody knocked on the door, if somebody, if there was a phone call that came in, if there was, you know, something that happened on, you know, the rescue, whatever the case may be, I didn't want them to feel awkward, you know, having to come find me. Totally. Like, do you know where I am? Yep. I'm in the living room. Yeah. You know, I'm on the computer. I'm outside working out. You know, I'm available. Um, so that was something that that uh, that I took from him, and and I used that. And um, well, and I think, too, being humble enough to learn from your guys. Just because you're the captain doesn't mean you know all the shit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like the last couple of shifts, I've been on squad eight. And those guys, they got like 130 years of service on yeah, the fire department between those guys. On that thing too. Yeah, and, you know, we go to a, they go to a lot of real goofy calls that, you know, technically I'm, I'm a TRT guy, but I'm so new to TRT. I mean, those guys have been doing TRT since TRT started. Right. So, you know, I remember we... Couple shifts ago, we had that the guy in Scottsdale with, that got stuck in the pipe, you know, mm-hmm. and 
they asked for all the captains to come up, and I looked in the back seat, and I was like, any one of you guys? Because I have no idea what to do with a guy in a pipe. Uh, anybody have a grease gun? <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, I think being humble enough to, and that, I think that builds trust with Those guys, guys respect that, too. For oh, sure. Yeah. You know, like, when you had uh, Kirk Hover on, and he mm-hmm. talked about, you know, Letting the guys make ninety percent of the decisions, but you make the ten percent that actually like that matter to their life oh, and yeah, safety. For sure, I think that's huge. You know what I mean? I agree. We have all worked with that micromanager who's like, "This is what we're eating for dinner. This is what we're doing today. This is what we're gonna." You know, nobody wants to work for that guy. You don't trust that guy. They're so I easy mean, to torture too. They're so easy. They're so easy to break. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, I have zero agenda when I show up in the morning. Yeah, you know, like there's things that I would like to do. You know, there's some things. Uh, you know, I would like to shop and cook. If we are uh, out training or we're on a couple calls and we don't shop and cook, that's not going to ruin my day. Yeah. You know, well, I would like to put my turnouts on, whether it be for a skills course or I, I try to put my, my turnouts on every shift. If that doesn't happen, it's not going to ruin my day. Right. You know? Being a rover, you kind of have to be a chameleon anyways, you know, and kind of blend to your situation that you're in. And you, I, me personally, I don't think you can walk in and say, this is what we're doing today because it's not your truck. You know, I mean, you're just kind of managing to make sure that everyone goes home that day, really. Right. You know, and press. Make sure you hit the on center button so that the alarm is not hitting you up every every five seconds. Well, but that, that actually is a, another good point that you brought up. There is a distinct difference in managing a senior crew than managing a junior crew. Absolutely. For sure, yes, so, absolutely. And so I've had that. I mean, very recently, I uh, had a move up engineer, a guy who was right off probation, who was my senior fireman, and a booter. And so you probably you had probably had more time than all three of them combined, right? For sure, probably. yeah, for sure. And I only I I have fifteen years on, which isn't that much in the grand scheme of things, right? You my know? first, it's a third of your uh, out of class acting. <laughs> <laughs> my first permanent assignment of the three other guys on the truck, uh, the guy closest to me in age was ten years older than me. The hmm. closest to me in age was ten years older. Than that me. was when I got to one. I was twenty. Four, when when do we got the rescue in twenty? I don't fucking remember. They kicked us out early. Remember? Yeah, I was twenty four, maybe twenty five when I got to one, yeah. and there wasn't a guy below fifty at that station. All your uncles, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're all old. And for me, my expectation of a crew that's twenty to twenty five years on the job is different than a five or. or a 10-year guy. They all have a few their, different ways. Yeah, like, I'm just happy those guys are out every morning working out. Yeah. I'm just like, fuck, man. I'm glad those guys are out there. They're still doing it. Like, w- like my, my expectations are so much different than a senior crew. Because those guys, you're not really going to... I mean, there are exceptions, but you're not going to really teach them that much. Right. And you don't have to mold them that much. Like, they, they've already been established. that They know their job. But, like, hey, I want you guys to stay healthy. I guess once you be able to at least work through one bottle, two bottles, stuff like that. So the expectations are completely different. And give them the opportunity to teach you something. That was uh, I was gonna say is like I when I work at Squad Eight or you know those stations. That's that's when I'm asking the most questions around with those guys. And you know when especially when John's there, um, Shoemaker, because he's such a wealth of knowledge, especially in that special operations group, that I can reach out and kind of pick his brain a lot of how to manage those calls. Is he the especially. most senior TRT captain we have now? Oh, I don't think so. No. He just looks old. It's got to be up there. (laughs) Yeah. Silver Fox. Yeah. Uh Yeah. But, you know, each one has pros and cons. The, you know, the young crew are going to want to go, go, go. Can you guys chill the fuck out? Yeah. You know, (laughs) you kind of have to reel those guys in a little bit, but they'll, they'll literally go through four or five bottles before they, before you have to really tame them down. You know, where the senior crew, you know, they may get one or two bottles 
and it's just age. I mean, th- this yeah. job beats you up. There's no, there's no question about it. But uh, so you got to be honest with that too, and and understand. Hey, this is if I can get this out of these guys, we're good. And then be able to communicate like, hey, realistic expectations. Done, yeah, for sure. You know, and but those senior guys are really gonna kind of watch you and take care of you. You know, where you have to really watch and take care of the younger guys. Yeah. You know, it's. The senior guys on calls, they fucking eat it. You just got to stand there like a fucking mannequin. They're, like, they got everything else. Like, they they don't need a lot of direction. Yeah. Especially on the uh, medical calls, they need zero fucking well, Yeah, they're, I'm going to get not, stuff out of the way for, for you guys. They're not confrontational. Them. They're not, um, you know, it's it's just so much smoother. They, they, don't, they don't feel that they need to make their stand on this decision, whether right. you deserve an uh, ambulance to the hospital or not, you know? <laughs> and, and so things just seem to go a lot smoother. I know on medical calls, the only time I ever have to step in is when Wagner looks at me. There's one specific, <laughs> one specific look he gives me like, can you fucking please help us? Then I'll step in and I'll fucking like, like go from there. But that's happened. I've been there since March or something. So that's, that's been twice since, you know, since March, and it's great for me because you can just kind of you know do do other things and not have to worry about that. So yeah. super super nice. But like like some of the, some of the younger kids or members where they forget, and you're like, hey dude, did you do this? Hey dude, you know, did you do that? That's that's when that's uh, you've been there, and I don't know if you're there now, but that's when I have to elevate my game a little bit more to to to, to watch every single position versus not having to watch every single position, especially the drivers. Yeah, which is probably what you're going through. Yeah, now. well, and you know, I, I I'm a firm believer that my engineer came out number three on his promotional process for a reason. I mean, he's done nothing but solidify to me the fact that he came out number three. Um, I mean, drive safe, safe, drive smart, um, th- is eager to learn the first do. You know, is is our like I said, we're work of a twenty seven, and I kind of grew up on the fire department and battalion one and battalion eight and addresses are not supposed to have as many numbers as they do. Yeah, there's five uh, numbers <laughs> in yeah. the uh, 13,420. We need four yeah. or less. Four uh, or less works for us. So, but, but he's, you know, he knows, he knows where he's going. He knows how to pump that truck. He knows how to troubleshoot. Um, you know, so older, it, that's older or younger. He's young. He's, that's pretty uh, good. he's 25, Anthony Tavilla. Okay. Uh, so he was in, Fifteen two, mm-hmm. I believe it was. Yep. Um, five years on the job. Uh, like I said, he's 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 been super solid. And then with with my backseat, you know, th- we went through the academy together. So they uh, and Mike Murdoch, he ended up he, he came to Phoenix with some time from up north. And so he's been he's been a fireman for a long time. Zach Nagel does a great job. Um, you know, so I don't I don't feel like I necessarily have to monitor every position, um, but definitely ready to and willing to if i if, if need be a little more aware so um what would you guys have done different in your preparation if you knowing what you know now and the position you're in you know we always need to be able to be retrospective and and you know what how we do things and what we do if you had the ability to change something would you uh, to me, to me, I feel like getting out of that comfort zone a little bit earlier. And again, like I, I think I was just in my own head for a long time. Like I any time that I am in front of somebody of uh, whether it be somebody of influence or, you know, a person that is a mentor to me, I felt this obligation to be perfect, like we talked about earlier. And um, your ability to get out of your comfort zone early. I think I did that late. It it ended up coming together. For me, but before the test, but it was, it was like, close. It yeah, was yeah, like a couple weeks. Right? Hey, again, it like, don't matter when yeah, it happened. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, um, it's close though. Yeah. You know, I just, I, 
I think I we said, were worried about you. You were one we were worried about the most. We knew you had it. Like, when's it gonna fucking click? Yeah, it was right there. So, and again, I think that was because it was, it was all in my head. It was all in my notes. It was all, you know. And I just, it just took me a while to get it all into, like I said, a, a five minute four. No, <laughs> I know we're probably way long on this podcast, but if always if, are. If this could be, if this could be uh, our my interview i would have felt a lot more confident with not having to you know what i mean Funny but how that works unfortunately you don't get that much time so that Even was though you and mike are sharing the same mic and staring at each other in the eye the whole time. yeah we don't have yeah, pictures they can't of see this. us right now but <laughs> what else to know we don't have pictures of this, do we? <laughs> no, no. we're in a 17 square foot closet and uh knows to know. mics. <laughs> but yeah so just um being, so fail often being willing early. to get out of that comfort zone early yeah. as opposed to cramming late you know and hoping that it you works out you got a few out. things going on yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody does like that. though that's the thing everybody does i i on the first one i i wish i would have had the knowledge to start earlier and uh take you up on your offer to do interviews on the first one that's all right and then uh, the second, I got forced into, ba- not forced in, but I got uh, my hand pushed into basically m- being in an uncomfortable position of getting out of station one because that was, that was where I was comfortable. It's big. And once I got over that initial, you know, trying to... I'm not as savage as I thought I was. Well, and like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like the new guy and I'm, I'm, B-Shift is a pretty senior group anyways. There's not a whole lot of young guys it on always B-Shift. Has been. And so now I'm going out and I'm acting captain on these really senior trucks and then having to kind of build your street cred now as that move up rather than that fireman that's just at station one, you know, because at the end of the day, no one really cares that you came from station one other than the guys at station one. Right. You know, so. At least you realize that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so uh, getting getting used to that, uh, being super uncomfortable, being in that position now. And you're basically the guy. You get to hear yourself on the radio, which is super uncomfortable, at least for me, yeah. and uh, making <clears throat> decisions that ultimately are going to affect what's going to happen to other guys, you know, how, how you decide to place people on this scene or, you know, how your actions are going are gonna to play out, you know. How much do you think your reputation um, helped you when, you when you did go out there? Uh, initially... It, I don't think a lot of guys really knew me on B shift because I had spent so much time at station one. I mean, I really, after, after probation, I rode for one shift, blew my knee out. And then I was off for a year and then, uh, basically went right from coming back to shift for one shift then went to ladder one and then went to engine two and sat there for five years, oh, geez, yeah. you know? So I, I really didn't see, and I didn't see him. So I didn't really see anybody. But you're uh, a peer fitness trainer for a long time too, so I knew a, so lot, a lot of the of those, younger guys. Yeah, right. But they were all on different shifts, pretty gotcha. much. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of B shift guys, you know, were the young guys. So gotcha. the, especially you know, in the other battalions, they didn't really know. So that's that. That was a big reason why I wanted to be really good tactically, is because you know, if I'm going into these stations as a as a new guy, I don't want them to think I'm an idiot. You know, so I wanted to be good at my job. Um, you know, and. I like to wait and prove it to them that yeah. I'm an idiot. Yeah, right. right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that was, I think that was a, a big thing for me is, you know, is, is wanting to perform, you know, with that. And especially, you know, guys, you come out of station one and there's, there's that stigma. It's, 
you know. Savage. Downtown Sewing Circle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the downtown airport. Yeah. And, uh, you know, guys, we we did get a lot of fire, contrary to popular belief. I mean, we yeah. when I was down there, we had a lot of fires. And so, and I had really good guys to teach me uh, how to be a good fireman, you know. Nice. But then switching that over to being a fireman to a captain, it's it's difficult, especially being young on the job and, you know, and then managing those crews and, and them asking you questions about things. And I, I'm super, un- I was super uncomfortable about giving my opinion on tactics and all that stuff, you know, because who am I? I'm just a, I'm just a fireman on an engine too, you know, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. Right. But now that you're in the captain's position, they look at you like, you almost have to, you better know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you better know that we need a 28 foot ladder, not a 24 foot ladder. And they all think I'm a ladder guy. I, I spent one year on ladder one. <laughs> that makes you a ladder guy. I, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, well, I... More than most, like, like medics, have never spent any time, like, on a... Again, on the only people who are really impressed by ladder guys is ladder guys. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> but now we're getting medics on ladders, which is even scarier. I, I mean... Well, now the, they actually have to do something. Yeah. True. <laughs> that was how we always... When I was on the ladder, that's how we... That's how uh, I was told that you'll know where to cut is because you'll hear where the medics are screaming. <laughs> <laughs> so if, I think this is a good good portion to wrap it up on, but advice for the people that are starting this process, you guys and you and everybody. If it, for, so if, if you're a B-shifter like me, then start early um, and surround yourself with like-minded people who – who have the same drive to, to, to do really, really well on, in the process, but not just the process, but to be really good at the job, you know, cause you can do good in the process and do good on the test. But if you suck at the job, then you still suck at the job, even though you came out really high, you still yeah. suck. So surround yourself with people who want to be good at the job. And then the process will, will kind of make itself kind of like what Ryan was saying, right. you know, and, um, for like I said, start early, um, and just put all your put everything into it. But don't forget about your family at home. They're they're a big part of this testing process. If if you have a wife or husband and kids, is don't forget about them at home. Um, you know that support system is, is going to take you a really long way. And so after this whole process was over, you know we, my wife wanted to celebrate. I. I took them out to dinner because that's they they're the ones who put up with my shit for five years. Yeah. You know, so that was a big thing for me is to kind of take care of them rather than I the like other it. way around, you Solid. know. But um and then like you said, make your circle small, you know, get people that you believe, uh, not necessarily who's running the test, but who you believe is a good captain, a good fireman, you know, because they're gonna guide you the right way. You know, if, if you're the guy who's cold calling chiefs and offering to take them out to dinner, I personally, I don't want to work with you. Yeah. I don't want to work with that guy because they're, they're, doing I don't want to eat dinner with those people. Yeah, I just threw up in my mouth. They're yeah. doing it the wrong way. You know, they're, they're doing the process a disservice. I'm politicking it. Yeah. So take the politics out of it and just be good at the job. Be good at, be good at what you do. So, and, uh, yeah, be really, be good at tactics, understand the why behind what you're doing. And like I tried to tell my brother when he was doing his, is beat them to that question, why? When you're telling them about, I'm pulling this line, this is why I'm pulling this line. So that, that dialogue, it doesn't really have to happen. He obviously didn't fucking listen. 
For one question, he didn't listen. Yeah. 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 He was working hard. I can yeah. attest to that. Sometimes I can be the killer. Yeah. Yeah, one question can hurt you. But so, yeah, so understand the why and be able to, to, to tell them the why. But you have to be good at the job to understand the why. Exactly. Competency keeps coming back to that. Yeah. What do you got, Ryan? Yeah, I agree. We're going yeah. order of, of captain seniority, so you, so you get to go last. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I mean, I, I agree with everything that Mike's saying. I think that, um, you know, it's super overwhelming from the beginning, but you got to start somewhere, right? So where I started was I started having conversations with people that, that I trusted and, and mentors of mine and people that I respected. And just having those conversations is do you think that I could even do this job? You know, forget the tactics, forget the interview, forget like, do you think that I can do this job? And, and, and if so, um, you know, what, show me the ways, you know what I mean? And, and be, be a sponge and, and listen and, um, be careful with the information that you get. Like I said, there, there, there's just so much. And I shouldn't say that be careful, like that. I don't, maybe there is some bad information going out there, but, but there's just so much of it and you can only ingest so much of it at a time. So when you first get, when you first are introduced to it, you know, in the bibliography and you got to prepare for an interview and you got to be strategic and tactic, you know, it's just, it's overwhelming. So, I mean, the, the, I don't know who says it, but the quote of uh, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, you know, and so you can only only manage what you can manage at the time. The rest of the, and if you need to start two years in advance to be able to manage that, then then do that. And if you think that that you can manage um, biting off those chunks in a, in a doable section, you know, in six months, that that time frame is going to be different. Um, but but I just to piggyback on Mike, the why is so important. You know, it's it's crazy how important that is, because like I said, we're all going to talk about the same topics. We're all going to talk about leadership. We're all going to talk about taking care of the customers. We're all going to talk about, you know, station life environment. But the the why you do it and same thing on the tactical, um, that's what's going to get you a job. I think your ability to articulate, you know, on, on, on my tactical um where I vented, where I vented on my residential fire, um, I had a question come up like, "Why, why did you vent there? And would would you want to vent over here? And and why not?" And so, um, not, and I don't think they were trying to mess with me at all, but like just just asking me questions and my ability to just say no. I, like I said earlier, I vented at this location because of these things, and and I really just went into a lot of depth on the why. I think that then you can convey some confidence in the board of okay, like that this this individual gets it and they're they have the ability to be competent so that's good i like it oh uh, i don't ha i mean my stuff's same similar but different like i'm gonna say use your group use your mentors as much as possible find someone or a few people that are really good tactically use them as your sounding boards for the tactical stuff go out Look at look at houses. Look at commercial things. Size stuff up on your own. Go through the on-scene reports by yourself, driving around. Um, make make sure that the that you are sound tactically, and whether it be you know taking the uh, tactics and strategy class with Stewart, or you know getting with your mentors and and uh, reviewing the stuff over and over and over again. And I agree with Ryan about start studying whenever you think it's most important for you for me i'm like i'm a late to the dance guy i started late but it works for me some people it doesn't work that way the other thing is is take a realistic inventory of who in the fuck you are so if you know that you're weak at certain things then attack those things harder than other things that you're you know that you're strong at so so be honest with yourself like yeah i fucking suck in interviews i'm gonna find someone w within my group that's really good at it that can help me and i'm gonna work that thing as much as possible so put in that work and, and have that good inventory of who you are. Um, another thing I'm going to say is 
do not listen to the fucking peanut gallery. Like, listen to, to your core group of people and what they say. You're going to hear a lot of bullshit and a lot of stuff outside there. Well, so-and-so's doing this and so-and-so's doing that and so-and-so's doing that way. Who gives a fuck? That does not matter. None of that stuff matters. What matters is that inner circle of people that you've built with and it's really good knowledge-wise and tactically and interview-wise to be able to help you through that. So, so, so I guess kind of drown out all the bullshit and all the, the tertiary stuff that's around there and focus on what's most important and then put in as much time as... You need to as well, um, you know, like also what Mike said about um, being respectful to your family and your friends, and stuff like that. Don't get lost in the process, because if you're one of those guys that does and then you fucking don't do so well, then it's it becomes a negative thing versus a positive thing. So make sure you're giving the right amount of volume to everything in your life as it gets closer to crunch time. Your family and friends will understand, hey, he's a month out. He's really going to hit it hard. But don't do that for a fucking year. Like that's, that's just, or, or two years. Like you can study as much as you want to, but don't shut everybody out for that long. Well, one thing I'll add is a, a, another Bruno quote is don't, don't risk an outcome or a, don't risk a relationship for an outcome. Cause a lot of relationships in this process get ruined yeah. over guys hiding information or you know. competitiveness. Yeah. I mean, it's at the end of the day, you still have to come and work with these yeah. people. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not just about you. It's it's about everyone around you too. So uh, keep that in mind that you know you're you're doing this. So yeah, you can be promoted, but we want good captains too that uh, that live what they what yeah. they what they're going to tell us that they're doing. Absolutely, be be selfless, and that's the last thing that I was going to say is be willing to help your peers. There's guys that came to me that 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 I was competing against that that weren't as good tactically or their interviews weren't good, and I helped every single one of those fucking guys. And a couple of them I didn't want to help because they were friends of friends, but I still did that. Like, be willing to share that information onto others. If someone's a complete douchebag, I get it. But, like, if someone's generally looking for help, try and help them out as much as possible. Don't try and hoard all that stuff. And that's all I got. Well, um, so I'm going to say... Can you remember back to 1999? Yeah, I actually can. I can can remember a lot. Um, I would say that uh, the preparation stuff matters. And if you are if you are legitimately starting to prepare to be a captain, on the day you pick up your bibliography, you're gonna struggle. And so if you're not paying attention, if you're not actually learning how to do the job that you guys have been talking about, um, you're gonna struggle. And I, I my kind of the way I equate it is is it uh, for the longest time as firefighters, we simply spend our time looking out the side window. And when we actually start looking out the windshield and we start figuring out where we're going, what we're doing, that, the why type of stuff, you start to prepare yourself to be the boss and be a company officer and, and all that other stuff. So I think that right there matters. Um, I couldn't lick the front window from the back seat. <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> yeah, it's because you were close enough. <laughs> um, uh, and then I would say that uh, being being good at the job, uh, the, especially these days. Well, it actually, it always was, and, but it's kind of hyper-focused now being good at the job is you have to spend a lot of time looking for resources outside of this job. And there is, there has never ever been more information available to us in a, in a, in a plethora of, uh, you know, across the bandwidth of our job, podcast books. Yeah. For you, for you to look at and, and, you know, cell phone uh, cameras on cell phones have changed the American Fire Service. 
for the fire ground because I remember taking tactics and strategy and there was a limited number of pictures you could look at because the photographer actually had to get up and show up there <laughs> so you could actually uh, you know look at a, a, a fire. Now everybody's carrying them and there's video and there's the craziest shit on there. So use that to your advantage. And then what people like UL and people, uh, a lot of other educators in the, in the American fire service are doing with that is, uh, we've, we've underperformed in our participation in that organizationally. Uh, and, and the way we're going to rectify that is the individuals, all of us is participating in it and bringing it in and making it part of our culture here. And, uh, and, and we can't be afraid of that. We have to, we have to be willing to learn better part of my career is people came here to learn from us and now we're in the role where we're going to have to go learn from other people and we and that's actually probably why we were best the best place to come learn from because we were learning from everybody else fortunately we had a leader that was you know that that was a big deal to him um so look outside our organization it will make you better it will make you smarter you will make better decisions on the fire ground and in the firehouse so, um, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't. I agree with that 100%. Like, going to talk about anything else. From all the experiences here and in other arenas, that they've made me such a better supervisor and leader because it's not one thing. So don't pigeon, pigeonhole yourself in, into just being stuck in the fire service and learning how those people lead. And, and the Phoenix Fire Department doesn't have the market cornered on, on smart shit. Nope. No. Nope. A lot of smart people out there. Well, how can uh, people find you if they want to ask you questions or stuff like that, you too? No, they, uh, on Facebook or Instagram, I guess. They, I'm roving on B-Shift, so if anyone It's a good thing your be, name's not very common. They should be able to find you <laughs> yeah, pretty easily. Yeah, there's only a million and a half. At AZWrestler145 or something. Yeah. What's your Instagram? Or you can find my dog. I, I look oh, at yeah. my dog's page a hell of a lot more than my own. <laughs> you so. forgot to talk about the dog shit. So, But uh, AZSearchDog underscore Talon is usually where I look at the most. But, yeah. Mike's, uh, I'll, I'll tell him what you are. Well, I also have a, a FEMA search and rescue dog and... Uh, He's a live find search and rescue dog, so that's kind of what I do on my side side gig, I guess, through the fire department. That uh, AZ search dogs, yeah, we'll, Arizona search dogs. We'll be doing a fundraiser for him. Soon. Yeah, you might hear a little bit more about them from us. Yeah, soon. Ryan, so. where can I find you? Uh, social media. I mean, I'm at Engine 27 on C Shift. Um, I will confess that I do have a shared social media account with my wife. That's and, all right. Uh, you know, people have the opinions that they want on that, but you know, <laughs> I'm the guy that has a shared Facebook account. And I really don't care. So, I'm 37 years old and married. I, What's your Instagram I, account? I got yours? nobody to do it. So, uh, uh, well, she's on that one quite a bit too. Okay. So it started like, it, aren't you like when at we, Mr. Underscore MR? So Morgan and Ryan MR. Oh, gotcha. My last name Olin, uh, 82, I believe it is. I don't. Um, you know, but yeah, the, the the shared thing started years ago when Facebook first started, and you know now. Uh, it's funny because I'm like, well, I, you, I have so many firefighter friends and, you know, you got so many teacher friends and, you know, she's right. like, well, we, it's too late at this point. We, you know, if we <laughs> split accounts, you can't break up the brand. Pe people will just assume we got divorced and we can't, <laughs> we can't split accounts at this point. So we're in over our heads, but it's cool. I got nobody to impress. I just feel bad. Media. All the stupid <laughs> stuff she has to read that firemen. Post. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Don't send that picture. Oh, she's opened a couple files uh, through Messenger on the, at the <laughs> dinner table before. And, uh, Who is this? So we, we, yeah, we, we, learned, we learned early on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always find Stu at 
Red CP Stew yep. on Instagram. You can find me at Brandon Meon. Uh, you can find the podcast at, at Make the Difference Podcast on all social media uh, arenas. Again, I think we talked about it on the last podcast, but we're formalizing a real website, so be on the lookout for that. We'll be, have a uh, uh, blog on there where uh, Chris and I can blog, mostly Chris, not me. Um, we'll have some downloadable white papers and stuff from Don, May, from Don Abbott's Mayday stuff. Um, we'll have a lot of good stuff on there. There will also be um, a page where you can download the podcast directly from that website. So Chris from Folder Roll Media uh, is helping us out with that. Um, outside of that, you can download the podcast at any place where you can download a cool podcast. If not, get a new fucking podcast player. But <laughs> uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.